This podcast is sponsored by Barclay Estates and Management Bristol. Whether you're a landlord or a tenant, Barclay Estates and Management are committed to providing you with the best possible service. We provide a hassle-free service for landlords and access to properties all over Bristol and the surrounding areas. Welcome to Three Peeps in a Podcast, Robins Reunited. This is episode seven of getting two ex-pros or staff from Bristol City back together. Um, and today we've got a player who is now living in Australia. So uh, a good nine or ten hours difference. Um, and also someone else who is actually still in the UK and has not has not moved abroad. So uh, we've got Alex Russell and Jamie McComb. First of all, Alex, how are you, sir? I'm very good, Patch. Thank you. And I'm going to refer to you from this moment on as Aggie, as uh, that is your your well-known nickname. So, Aggie, you're out in Australia. How's life out there for you? Um, like we just saying, the, the weather's fantastic, um, especially at the moment. We're just going into winter, so um, rather than it being, I don't know, 36 degrees and 90% humidity, it's about 27 and like a, like a beautiful... English summer's day in the moment. I was just saying to you before before we hit record, I was saying that it's been lovely in St. Ives Cornwall all last week, 20 degrees, sunshine, and you're like, well, that's that's pretty much my winter. So, um, yeah, made me feel really good. But I I had a great time nonetheless. It was lovely. Um, And Jamie, how are you, sir? How are things? I'm not sure where you reside at the moment. Um, I live up in uh, Harrogate. Nice, bit bit more sleepy than uh, than Bristol, but uh, once again, it's, it's very similar to like Clifton, Clifton Village. Very posh. It's uh, a bit oldie worldy and uh, very nice. Excellent, excellent, and yeah. So yeah, you've been you've experienced lockdown as much as uh, as much as me. But uh, Aggie, you were saying you only pretty much had two months of lockdown in uh, in Australia. Yeah, um, like you said, where where I am, I'm, I've been really lucky. Yeah. I feel sorry for the people down in Melbourne. They've had a really bad, uh, a bad situation for them. Uh, and a lot of people are actually sort of escaping up where I am, you know, further north away from everyone. Uh, but I've been, you know, very lucky indeed. Come on. We'll come on to why you moved to Australia and what you're up to now. Um, but we're going to start from the beginning. So, so Aggie, you were born on St. Patrick's Day in 1973 in Crosby, Merseyside, according to Wikipedia. What was life like growing up in uh, in Merseyside? Uh, well, typical, I think, kids from around Liverpool. We were, we were growing up, well, I was growing up during sort of the late 70s when they you started winning everything. Um especially the European Cup, as it was known then. And I think we just grew up wanting to be Kenny Daglish, Ian Rush, you know, Graham Sooner, some sort of players. And um, they were all sort of idols to me uh, as a kid. And, uh, you know, when I got to a certain age, I think I was... I, I can't remember going to Anfield very much because my dad was really Everton. And... Um, well, he, 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 the reason we lived over, because my mum and dad are, are Geordies, the reason we lived there was because my dad came to Everton to play when he was sort of 19 years old. So we grew up, obviously, not that... I just remember him taking me to one game, and it was, it was funny. It was like one of the best games ever. And it was when Liverpool beat Everton. I think it was five minutes. Because just sitting and rush scored either a hat-trick or four. And then I remember we got there and just paid on the gate, and it wasn't a sellout. 
it was in that era when you know there was a lot of trouble at games I think and it just wasn't sort of um you know like the Premier League is today where you can't get a ticket uh I remember we just sneaked in late and and, and that that was me hooked I think I was just a Ian Rush in Liverpool Daglish was mine Daglish was the player Wow. So you, you had football in your genes then. And uh, it was, uh, where, was, where was your sort of, I think Rochdale was your first club. Is that right? Yeah, that was, um, I had a little, obviously a couple of years, YTS at Liverpool, but then fell out the game for a couple of years, played non-league, uh, by Morecambe and Bursco. And, and then eventually was really lucky, I guess, I got picked up at, at Rochdale. Um, a guy called... Um, well, Sutty was nicknamed was the manager and he lived quite close to Bursko and used to just come and watch his play, I think, because he was bored. And um, I was just lucky. He saw me and he took a chance on me when I was about 21. And that was, you know, without him, you know, I could have still been playing there. Yeah, brilliant. Um, so from Rochdale, you went to Cambridge, then on to Torquay and you found yourself at Bristol City in 2005. Who, who signed you and what was the transfer fee? Oh, it was massive. Um, it was <laughs> Brian Tinian signed me uh, on a free. Uh, well, basically, my contract had run out at Torquay, and I'd been there four years and had the best time. But I just felt that, yeah, just I wanted to change. I think I love Torquay. Torquay was brilliant for me. Same with Cambridge. Um, I just it was one of those things. I just thought right. And I would, I'd, I would been, I'd been playing well for a couple of years, and just thought if I ever want to go to a, a bigger sort of League One club, that was my last chance. And fortunately, um, obviously, uh, Brian came in for me, and and at the last minute, so did Huddersfield, and Huddersfield was sort of been near the top of the table, and um, and Bristol City had sort of been, I think, near the playoffs that year, probably maybe even in the playoffs, but. I just was like, nah, Bristol City. It was really weird how I just had my head really, and I think it was because I had one visit to Bristol shopping and I just loved the city. I loved everything about it. So I was just like, my, and it wasn't too far from Torquay and I didn't fancy going to Huddersfield like Jamie did later. Um, but yeah, I did. Um, it was easy. It was actually quite an easy decision in the end. Brilliant. Okay, we'll come back to uh, the, to the city career, but uh, bring in Jamie now. Jamie, known to most as Boom or Boom Boom McComb, as we should say. Um, first of all, where did that come? Where did that come from? Who who coined that phrase? Uh, I think uh, I'm pretty sure it was uh, sort of thought up by um, Lewis and Scotty Murray. They um, just. It was basically just to make it a song, I think. Just boom, boom, Jamie McComb, just it rhymed. And I don't know, I don't know how it took off or how it got out, but it just it just started. But it still it still sticks today when I see people. And even my brother, who was at Port Vale, they started calling him boom boom as well. But there's only one. Oh yeah, there's only one, absolutely. Um so Jamie, you were born in Pontefract, West Yorkshire in 1983, a good ten years younger than uh, than um, Aggie over there. Australia. I, I wanted to touch on that when Aggie started talking earlier. <laughs> but he looks well, though, doesn't he? To be fair to him, he does look well. <laughs> he does. He's actually written an article. There was an article on him I found in the Gloucester, Gloucestershire Live talking about uh, how he stayed so young, drinking from the fountain of youth. Um, but uh, <laughs> life growing up in, in West Yorkshire, you started your career um, at Scunthorpe. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I played for 
um, start well, just as going through as a kid, as you normally do. I started with like Leeds. Um, I was there for like a season, you know, under 11s or whatever. Then I went to Huddersfield, uh, got released by Huddersfield, went to Barnsley, got released by Barnsley. And then I ended up, I think Barnsley just dropped out of the Premier League at that point. And then I, I, I went on trial at Lincoln, who said no, said, I don't think football's for you, got rid of me. Um, and Halifax I went to and then ended up signing at Scunthorpe. But I was, I was always playing as a central sort of midfielder. And it weren't until I went to Scunthorpe where, you know, basically the manager, Paul Wilson, who, who I hold, you know, in high regard, he was fantastic for me and one of the best best people in my career. He um, he said, you've got to think long and hard about this, but there's a there's an apprenticeship there for you, but it will be as a centre-back. Don't get any visions thinking you're going to play centre midfield because it's centre-back or nothing. Take it or leave it. So I took it and it was probably a, a, quite a smart decision, really. Absolutely. Aggie, did you start and were you always a centre midfielder? Um, mostly, yeah. I'd, I had a spell when I was at Liverpool. I was a sort of number 10 or centre forward because I didn't like playing wide and they didn't, they, they weren't going to play me in centre midfield because I didn't tackle enough. So um, I'd, had, I'd spells up front, but yeah, sort of coming through, I was always really a, a midfielder, I guess. Yeah. So, so it's interesting what you said there, there Jamie, about um, obviously Lincoln rejecting you early doors, but you went to Lincoln after Scunthorpe. So, uh, how did that come about? Yeah, it was just it was just one of them, just one of them things, basically. Um, did you remind I, them? Oh yeah, they no, I, I can't remember who the, who the under 16s or YTS sort of manager was back then, but um, I, can't, I can't remember who it was. I've never come across them in my time at Lincoln, but no, it's just, it's one of them things. I think I've always had that sort of personality where, you know, I probably not, I haven't, you know, seeked out sort of the clubs to sort of pay them back, but I'd always do it sort of either for people or in spite of people. And it definitely give me the drive to sort of, you know, when I went, I went back there and captained the club and got player of the year a couple of times. So that was like enough proof for me. Um, and then obviously I, I actually loved the club. I went back to went back to there right at the very end of my career. So I felt like I owed them I owed them something because I sort of left under a bit of a cloud of sort of well not controversy, but I sort of I had a I had a, a minimal sort of release clause in my contract, which uh, I even to this day I feel a bit bad for taking it up. But when when I got offered the opportunity to come to Bristol, it was just I had to I had to jump at the chance and take it, and uh, I'm just really glad that I did, and, I, and I'm glad that I got the chance to come back to Lincoln. You know, one in a playing capacity, and then in a coaching capacity, and now the club's gone from strength to strength, and and I've been a part of that, so I feel like I've I've sort of paid them back. So I'm I'm happy with the way things have worked out. Fantastic, brilliant. Boom. Did they did they let you go when you were younger because you were too small? <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> I had a few of them. It's because I couldn't edit. Yeah, you couldn't edit. It's like when I went down to Torquay when I was 18 and they, they didn't want me, they weren't interested. And like you said, it's funny how later on what happened. Yeah. It's, it's funny because I, I played my first ever game against, it was uh, for Scunthorpe. I was like a, a YT. I'd just been put in at centre-back. And we played Lincoln, Lincoln United, not Lincoln City, Lincoln United. And I remember playing the game, coming at half-time, Brian Law has absolutely hammered me. He said to the youth team manager, who's this you've signed? Seriously, who is this? He said, 
six foot five, he can't even edit, cannot head the ball, useless. And just absolutely hammered me. So I just went out on the field then. Uh, the captain at the time, Chris Hope, said, come on. He was, at, he was at the game, he was playing. So we were the first team. He was like, come on. Re- really nice fellow who was Chris Hope. He said, you're going to do 10 minutes with me every day. And just, you know, just clip balls up for me and head in. And then it became like the strongest part of my game. But you know, in central midfield, you don't really, it was more just jumping and landing sort of for the headers rather than sort of, you know, goal Atta- kicks and everything else. But, Chris Hope was a lovely lad. Did he play? Didn't he play? Uh, yeah, yeah. Chris Hope was great. Right. He, he yeah. could head I, it as I well. I used to get on with him. Well, real nice yeah, guy. Yeah, he went to Gillingham, I think, um, when they were like in the championship from from um, from Scunthorpe. But he could head it. It was only sort of six foot, but like timing, he could head it sort of forty yards. And I just, you know, he taught me a lot of little things in terms of like chin position where your head and just the, the technique of it and obviously I just tried to master it and, and managed to carve out a decent career off the, off the back of it I thought you <laughs> I thought you were much taller than six foot five if I'm completely honest is that is that your is that... No, I was only 16 then oh you know so, so what so what what uh, what's your height at, at well, I'm six uh, well, I'm six six I think okay. right yeah cool but, right so you signed for for City in two thousand and six. Um, I assume that was Gary Johnson that signed you. It was, yeah, yeah. And was there a transfer fee there? Uh, yes, I've never really spoke about it too much. It was, yeah, it was in the low thousands. Okay, but that right. was that was just something I'd negotiated with with Lincoln because uh, I was under twenty three, uh, under twenty four. Sorry, so I'd have got been on a Bosman, and another club or the chairman in particular wasn't very. Very happy about it. Uh, the Bosman ruling to sort of get that in. Is that still a thing? The Bosman ruling? <laughs> I've heard it for a while. Uh, I think so. I'm not. I'm not 100 sure. I think it's still. I think it's still there. But I think obviously people are a lot more savvy around contracts. Yeah. Uh, and everything else. Brilliant. Okay, so you make your debut um, on the fifth of August two thousand and six, coming on as a substitute against your your old club Scunthorpe. How how was that coming on against Scunthorpe? Yeah, it was uh, yeah, it was great. I just wanted to get I just wanted to get started. You know, I sort of came in. Um, I remember having the meetings with sort of uh, with the gaffer Gary Johnson at the time, and he. Um, you know, I think they'd already signed Fontaine. You had Matt Haywood and Lewis, and it was almost like you know you've got to you're going to be part of four at the minute. You're not going to be starting, so I didn't start the season. I uh, said so you just got to forge your way in. Um, obviously, we brought you in because we think you can. But obviously, you start basically sort of fourth in line, and then it weren't until um, a few games. You know, I think it was uh, my first game was the Leighton Orient. I think first first start. Yeah, and then so I well, played that game and I, I managed to stay in, I think, pretty much for the rest of the season. Yeah, that was on the 21st of September 2006, a 2-1 win at, over Leighton Orient. And that, that 06-07 season is going to be sort of the focus of, of, the, of the next chunk because um, I've managed to get all the DVD, which, uh, as I showed you, the, the um, Always Believe DVD and the promotion winning season, which is a season where you both played the, the, you know, the large chunk of your games for, for Bristol City. So we're going to walk through that season. So we've spoken about your, your debut um, uh, at, at home to Scunthorpe. Um, but for me, uh, the, the season was kick-started uh, in the game at Northampton. It was 1-1 and 
Bradley Orr and Lewis Carey had a coming together. Bradley gets sent off for basically colliding with uh, with <laughs> with Lewis's head, um, and we went on to win that game three one. And after winning that first game at home to Scunthorpe, we lost four games on the trot, um, and then that 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 really kick started. I don't know where I was in Northampton because I didn't play the game and I, I was watching it on telly. So I must have been injured. Um, but yeah, I remember the turnaround. I think I might be wrong, but I think Cott scored two on that day. Yeah, or, he scored two, he he scored two goals. Yeah, he scored yeah, two goals. Yeah, and, and and it was real backs against the wall and what happened. And it, it was sort of like, like you say, it was a great turning point because... It was a little bit like our form up until then was a bit like disjointed. And then that happened and it just brought everyone together. So, in fact, Brad and Lewis having that little bust up was really good because it, it showed how passionate they actually were, the two of them. And it, I think we all bought into that. And it was almost like, well, we, we're going to have to fight and scrap for this. And um, it actually, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a big game, a huge game, really. Yeah, I was surprised put... at that because Brad was always really placid, wasn't he, on the pitch? <laughs> <laughs> didn't fall out with anybody or, or say anything. No. Did was quiet as a mouse. Not much. Well, it was on, it was on <laughs> Sky that game, as you say. And um, yeah, Dave Cottrell scored two goals. Um, and subsequently, that got him a £2 million to Wigan. Uh, shortly thereafter, that that performance and um, of the performances that b- before that, but um, yeah, it was one of those ones. I was actually watching it in a pub in Clifton and saw the saw Lewis and Bradley scrapping. And after four straight defeats, it I just thought this this can't get any worse. And then I think the the opposite happened. It was really the kickstart for the season. So um, yeah, it, it was great to to get that season off and running. Um, the yeah, the think, next, I think, on, I think Cox as well. Cots had had a really good end to the season before. Um, if I remember when we had a good run and he was he was only 18 and he, I remember him scoring a few goals and he was he was a bit different than anything, I was gonna say anything we had, but he was you know very young and unbelievably quick and uh, obviously had a, a good career off the bat, but you yeah, know, he definitely changed that game. Yeah, he was, I think he was 18 at the, at the time and he, he, he did an amazing, amazing run through, took on the, the whole team and uh, and got a penalty. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was uh, obviously he came back later later in his career and did a good job for us then as well. Um, next couple of games. So it was a lovely assist from Alex Russell versus Chesterfield for a lovely lob for Jenison Myrie Williams. There's a name I haven't heard for a while. Um, and he was quite dangerous down the left for us for um, for that first half of the season, Aggie, wasn't he? Yeah, he, well, Jem's, um, again, he was only 18, I think. And he, the two of them, like when Cox was there, Jenison, like the rest of the team was quite experienced, but you, you sort of need that bit of trickery, pace, a um, little bit off the cuff. And, and Jenison sort of brought us, just again, something different. You know, Scotty was always a danger on one side. Whenever Scotty played, he, he could score a goal out of nothing. And Jenison would just gave us a different balance. I would think about every good team I played in was we had good balance. You know, you'd have a six foot five, six foot six, seven and a half who could edit. And then you would have, a, you know, a, um, someone like Lewis next to them, or you'd have a Mona like Brad on the right. And then you'd, so everyone balances off. That's what makes the team. It's, you don't have every all the same type of player. And Jenison 
just had a really good, like you say, probably had a really good three or four months, um, which helped us at that period because, you know, we needed something different. Yeah, one of the first Robins reunited we had was with John Clayton um, and Dave Horseman. And John Clayton, I always remember him going on about Jenison Myrie Williams when he had him as a youth player. And it was someone who I was looking forward to seeing. What Say he had that sort of good good half a season and I'm not quite sure where he went from City. What what do you think, you know, why didn't his career go on um, in terms of moving on up the leagues? What what happened with, with Jenison? I think he, I think he I, well, I'd have to look at his Wikipedia, but Jen sort of, I think he had a good spell at Port Vale, you know, um, and he he went, and I think he was at Newport maybe for a bit. Or I mean, he still played league football, and and he didn't sort of drop out straight away. But I just think it's very, it's people don't realise how tough it is. I think Boom will, you know, tell you as well. It, it's not always about your ability. It, you know, most of it is actually your sort of, I don't know, almost Getting like a lucky break. Stick, you know, like stick in there and just keep going and. You know, a friend of mine who played for years um, and actually Boone knows, like called Chris Brandon, he said, you know, he went through his career and he sort of said, like 10 years or 15 years he had whatever he played and he said, like, he had one good year. Every year was just, you know, battling, trying to get another contract and, mm. you know, you're in a good team or an average team or you're trying to get in the playoffs or stay off from promotion or you've got injured again and, and it, it's it just to be durable for a long period of time is a, a lot of it, it. I know people go on about it for you know a lot about mental strength, but it it's getting through and not giving in and keep going and keep going and keep going and um you know some people have it and some don't and it's not always ability it's it's sometimes just that that desire to carry on playing. Yeah, I, I, think, guess- I think I think another contributing factor was sort of the size of the club in terms of Bristol and then getting promotion and going on to the championship. Obviously, it gave the club more finances and then, you know, he probably didn't have enough time to be developing before we needed that top championship striker because we, we hit the ground running, didn't we? Uh, That's a great, great shout, yeah. Yeah, because you, you do that and then you start looking at the quality of players that we brought in and, and you know, it's difficult then. You, you sort of fall down the pecking order and in the big games, you need people you can count on and rely on. Um, and like I say, he maybe would have been better if, you know, if if we'd we not had a, such a great season, it, like it had slowed down and then he'd have got more opportunity and he could have developed. And sometimes it's just that, you know, like in any anybody's life or children or whatever, you have certain ages, um, which are like your forming years, which you have, you know, as, as, as children when they're growing and like your opinions and everything are formed. I think sometimes that happens in football, that early sort of just coming into your 20s, you sort of bring in your good habits and, and you learn and technique and then you carry them forward. If you don't have enough time or a bit of disruption, it can sort of knock, can knock you a little bit. Yeah. So you find that, that rhythm and pathway. That's a great point. There's so many factors involved um, in, in the game, you know, the, the management, the training style, if it all fits you, if it all works out for you, um, the players that come in, the players that go, your opportunities come and go. So, yeah, lots of lots of variables to think about. Another another player um, that maybe falls into that same conversation is someone um, who scored a really, you know, quite a few 
important goals for us in that first half of the season. Um, Scott Brown, um, Jamie, what what were your views on on Scott Brown and uh, and you know his his career at that point? Well, uh, yeah, Scott, Scott, he was good. He done, he did really well. Um, we sort of played him a little bit more central midfield, but we had the the, the thing was, and it, it, again, he fell into that to that track. He was he was obviously younger young guy at the time. And then, you know, you had people such as David Noble, Aggie, Lee Johnson, who we signed. Um, so I think about we had a Scoosey coming through. It was fantastic. It was just competition for places. And, you know, sometimes it must be a tough, I know it's a good problem to have, but it's, you know, doing, you know, the coaching side, it's a, it's a difficult problem to have sometimes when you've got quite a few, it's a good problem to have, but have players in certain areas. And again, sometimes it come down to trust and it's like, you know, if, if you've got a decision to make and it's, you know, the expectation was all on Bristol, you know, do you stick someone in who's had 300 games under the belt, you know, and been there before, or do you stick someone in who's, you know, who's had 15, 20 games? Mm. Um, so I think, I think again, he was that. And the thing I think that killed uh, Brownie, because I actually recommended him to the Harrogate Town who he's just finished playing with, another manager well sort of a few years ago and he he was he had a really really bad leg break against uh, against us uh when he was at Cheltenham and I think that that set him back for quite a few years um but you know he, he had a good had a, had a decent career and he stood the, the the length of time so yeah absolutely and he obviously was involved in that incident with uh Bradley and, and Steve Brooker as well but it was it was the game after that that um that court case that he actually came back and scored two or three goals uh so you know coming back with a point to prove I guess um yeah, he was a great great lad around the changing room as well and like like uh Boone said he, I remember I remember watching him when he broke his leg because he was at Ashton Gate and he it was his first game for Cheltenham he had just signed for and um, his own player, big uh, Damien Spencer, actually went to shoot and he just sort of got under his feet. And Damien went to kick the ball and kick the back of his leg and broke his leg. And you know, you just moved to a club and you, you want to show him how good you are. And the next thing you're out for six months or whatever, and it you know, with a double break, which is obviously yeah. the worst. And and to be fair to Brown, he, he played non league for a few years and then he, he did really well, had a promotion at Accrington. Um, so like yeah, he showed actually again what a tough little character he was to come back and, and play back in the league. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, City three, Gillingham one. Another assist for Aggie, who crossed for Richard Keogh to volley home from eighteen yards. Um, so Richard Keogh, Liam Fontaine, Lewis Carey, and and Jamie, uh, four centre backs, all competing for places. Jamie, is it great to have that competition? Obviously, you want to play every game. Um, and having the competition must spur you on, must make you want to, you know, to produce those performances more and more. Yeah, it's um, I don't know, it's something that as you get older as well, it becomes it just becomes natural that you you understand that you're in that you're in that sort of um, bracket where you've got you know four players, but ultimately it was just doing what what you could because the the you know the management team picks a team, so you just try to sort of work together and it does spur you on. It never it, Strangely, it never felt like competition. You, you know that it is, um, but it's almost we were just teammates first and foremost, and everybody's doing doing their bit. And I think you you get to a certain age where you know you're going to play a certain amount of games, 
So like you've not got to sort of take it, you know, if you're not in the squad or whatever else, um, take it too personal because there will always be another opportunity. Someone will get sent off, someone will get injured. And then when you come in, you've just got to grab it and make sure you make sure you're ready. But I think the one benefit for me was that I offered something a bit different to everyone else. So, you know, I, I tended to play most of the time probably for that, for that reason, you know, the importance of sort of, you know, direct balls at that time, you know, we've set pieces for and against, um, you know, and I think it allowed the manager then to play maybe a smaller team um, and more skillful, more technical team than, than, than what, what he might have to do if, if he didn't have, you know, a, a first ball winner in there. Yeah, I mean, you you play such an important part in the last five minutes of the first half and the second half. We'll come on to that as we go through the season. Um, but the the assists, Aggie, obviously, there's quite a few for you that season. Is it something that you you're constantly looking for that 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 killer pass to, to try and thread someone through or sort of force force an opportunity? Well, it it was I suppose it was as you grow. As you grow up, I was originally like probably boom was even like you dribbler and you'd go past people. And then at the age of about 15, I lost all my pace and thought, well, if I want to play, I'm going to have to do more of the passing. And then once I did the start passing, um, it was just the way I, I was able to see runs and, and you know, plays like Scott, you'd make runs and you just know to make good runs when you played that higher. And I just, that was just, to be fair, was probably my biggest strength. I could just see things. And I remember David Priest at Cambridge, he, he was, uh, was unfortunately passed away. And he was my sort of biggest fan. And he, he always, I remember him saying to me once that this, the reason we like you and the reason, you know, you're in the team is because you play forward and you, you know, you, you'll, you rather than go backwards, which was easy, you'll maneuver the ball to play forward. And, and that gave me a lot of confidence um, in that what I was trying to do was actually beneficial to the team. And uh, yeah, the, the through ball and the, the passes was really my game, I think. You know, um, everything else was just to get that one opportunity at half to put something in on goal and, uh, and try and create something. Uh, so yeah, it, it's, it's, I played last night and it's still it's the main part of the game is you know, if we can get that opportunity to turn look forward, can you put someone in? If, if you look at the, there's all like the intricacies that people don't see, but sort of with, with Ags, he always just come and made a good angle for us. And if you look at a lot of the passes, he's actually not stood like straight on, as you would imagine playing forward. He's almost always sort of 45 degrees or sort of side on, and it's almost like a little reverse one that, that he can see out of the, obviously the corner of his eye. And the players got to know that. I think there's one, I think it's you when we uh, on the video that saw Middlesbrough. Did you play the ball through for notes? Yeah. 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 So you sort of side on, look as if you're going to pass it to the right back and just sort of reverse it, reverse it in. But you always do it. There's quite a few of the players had like little quirks like that. Brad always had the one that like, was going to play up the line and chop inside. And it's yeah. just all them little, all them little bits that just give you extra. Like people are always looking for the, being totally complete and rounded player, but it's just them little bits that that you know set you apart from someone else. So when everyone's on the same wavelength, it sort of works. Absolutely. But that's the thing is, 
you when you play with good players, um, and, and like I was lucky to play with a couple of good players at Cambridge, uh, Martin Butler, who was a centre forward, who every time I got my head up, he just made a run. And I remember saying to my dad, God, it's easy to play with, with Martin Butler because he always made this run at the time I wanted to play the pass and I knew exactly where, where he was going, if he wanted it here, there, over the top, to feet. A lad called David Graham at Torquay was the same. He just knew when um, when I could get it into his feet or when he could spin off the back of a centre-half. And it, it makes a massive difference having players around that, you know, could do that. Um, I, just, I just really thought I linked well with Scotty. Scotty was, he would just make blind runs. So I could see it, but the defenders couldn't. And, um, yeah, it, you know, it is. Playing with better players definitely helps. Doesn't matter who, um, at what level you're playing at. If, if forwards make the runs, then it sort of helps you a lot. It makes you look good. <laughs> That's what I used to think. I, I think it's that it's that symmetry as well and doing it. And obviously we had a uh, we had quite an intelligent bunch of players, not just you know sort of on the pitch, but sort of also off it. And we used to spend a lot of time together in terms of talking, but. Like little things like now, I could, I could close my eyes on the pitch and I just, I, I don't even need to look. I know exactly where Lewis is. I know he's sort of, you know, five, six, seven yards behind me and a couple to the left. It's just, it was always, you saw, you, you never had to doubt where, where other people were. Um, yeah. We should, and I we do think, about... I do think Gary Johnson had a lot to, not necessarily with the coaching, but he, he got us all singing off the same hymn sheet. We did a lot of rehearsal and different bits and different bits and sort of just, it becomes second nature when it becomes sort of autonomous. So that, um, and, it, and it worked. And I think that's why we, I think with the success we had that season and then the next season, I think the only issues we had the years after is when we had to start, start changing players. Because, mm. you know, with the players that we had, I think, you know, you, you look at it now, we've sort of Bournemouth brought a lot of players through the division, Southampton did the same, and it's um, it, 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 that that group sort of symmetry and everything else makes you know just makes for a successful recipe, really. Yeah, it's about you know not not necessarily buying the right player, but the right fit for the culture of the team and who's going to fit in and not upset the balance. So it's a difficult, it's a difficult game. Because you know, when, you, when you start to get to that level as well, you start to sign personalities as much as as much as players mm-hmm. who want to fit in. Um, you spoke about some of the strikers there. Let's talk about some of these strikers. So it was a cup game away at Forest. City win on penalties. Um, the highlight of that game was Phil Jevons' goal of the season, overhead kick from 20 yards. But Phil Jevons, Enoch Shawumni, Steve Brooker, and you can add sort of Scott Murray to that list as the main goal scorers for the season. Let's talk about some of these players. Enoch Shawumni, he, he was someone who signed at the start of the season, same time as you, Jamie, and... Um, he hit the ground running and um, was always someone who's gonna who was gonna get you a goal. Jamie, your thoughts on uh, on Enoch Shawumni? First and foremost, what what a great lad! I've met up with Enoch a few times in London since, and uh, what a nice nice man. Um, but he um, yeah, he was he was you know another again another bright guy. Did you know did a university um, and sort of came through at Luton and got in. Um, going to football that way. But he just, he was, you know, he was six foot five, quick, athletic, left-footed. Um, he was probably a lot gentler than than he should have been or could have been. Could have definitely been a lot more physical. Um, 
but he, you know, he gave us he gave us something different because, um, you know, you had Phil Jevons in terms of who could score. You know, he was a goal scorer, and then the the complete sort of all round player really that is a real shame was Steve Brooker was was a fantastic player. You could play into him, you could play up to him. He was clever, you know, can manipulate, can strike with both feet. He, you know, his injuries really, really, you know, I think I think that if we'd have had him fit for the season after. The whole time, you know, firing it, we, you know, we might, we might have done it sort of automatic. Mm. But um, like you say, it's uh, yeah, there were good options. That's like say you talk about them there, and in in terms of, you know, like big names, there was no real big names within the within the club, uh, but they were all really good, solid, you know, players with with uh, with a point to prove. Um, and I think that again, that that made it sort of you know a much better journey for us all. I think. Yeah, Aggie, your thoughts on um, sort of those four, maybe even five, if you add Jenison to the mix, sort of striking options that season? Yeah, I think, um, like we were saying before, the actual different styles of basically all three of those, you know, Jevo, uh, Noki, and uh, Brooks, it, it was, you know, Jevo was clever, had a nice touch, he was a bit more you know, like he's sharing them, sat in the hole, but when he got his chances, he just had good technique. So he would hit the target a lot and obviously he got his goals. Noki was, I think, quick, powerful. If you could get him on his game, he was um, he was at times unplayable um, because of his size and his physical attributes. Um, and always, always seemed to nick a goal, you know. I remember a lot of goals he scored where the game was maybe tight and, and things like that. And then, like, I just echo really what Boom said. You know, Brooks, he was the biggest shame, I think, when I was there was he wasn't fit long enough. Because whenever he played, he scored. And if he didn't score, he batted the two centre-halves. And he just, you know, he, he could run behind. He could get hold of it. He could edit. And he had two good feet. Um, and it was just a shame, really. He, he had terrible ankle problems um, for, you know, even the three years I was there. He was just never quite 100% fit. I mean, he's probably, I don't know, you'd, you'd probably have to look it up in the archives if he got, you know, more than 15 games in a row. I'd be surprised because he just never quite was able to get rid of it. But he um, was a really good player. Like I say, a bit, bit of a shame, really. Like Boom said, if he'd been fit the year we went into the championship, you know, he would have scored goals. What's he up to now? I haven't, uh, I haven't heard much about him lately. Do you know? Do either of you know what he's he's up to now? He was, um, he's back up in Yorkshire on sort of. Um, I'm trying to think. The last time I spoke to him, he was working. Um, he wasn't in football anymore. He'd had enough. Mm. Um, and he was, yeah, he was working. I can't remember. I don't know if he was a postie, but he was, he was working anyway, but he was okay. still in good form. Yeah, he was, he was, when I last spoke to him, he was in good form. It actually reminds me I need to give him a ring. Awesome. <laughs> well, TM up for, uh, for a Robins reunited for me. Um, so yeah, well, City won Carlisle nil. It was, uh, it was Aggie finds Jamie McComb, who finds Steve Brooker, um, and then Shawumni finishes it off so at this point we're, we're we're sort of third second third in the league bouncing around in that position with Scunthorpe um, at the top and it was great to see you two combining um, obviously Aggie with his pinpoint cross 
finding finding Jamie McComb and and Jamie obviously so often we'll come on to this a bit more in a second but so often you do go up um as that as that threat in in the box um so it was, it's it's a much easier target I guess for you Aggie seeing uh, seeing Jamie in the box yeah I'd, well it's funny because you had the video of the goal and and uh I remember sort of because I was straight to the goal it wasn't really a cross but Boomer pulled a little bit away and like you say, I just, you just had to put it in an area and high enough so that no one else could get it and only Jay could get it. So, um, and then good header from him and then great header back by Brooksy to put on a plate for Enoch. But uh, yeah, I think whenever the ball was coming in, if he was in the box, you know, we had half a chance because, you know, he was, and he wasn't, Jay wasn't, I wouldn't say the biggest jumper, but he was just physically strong. He had the strongest arms. And a lot of the time, Jay will tell you, you used to get the line of the ball from the goalkeeper. And if you actually watch, he didn't jump a lot. He just held the centre forward with his arm. And like, because he was so big, he could edit. Um, and, that, and that was, like we were saying before, probably years of learning how to block off the forward and how to just head it. And he had a solid base so he could edit far, you know. And, um, but in the box, yeah, he was always a threat. Yeah. Did you enjoy those... Uh... Those moments, Jamie, in terms of getting in the box and having an opportunity to impact the game, obviously at the top end of the pitch as much as the bottom. Uh, yeah, definitely. It was, uh, it's a lot easier. It's a, well, I say it's a lot easier up there. It's uh, there's a lot less stress. Do you know what I mean? Because you're you're going up there to do a positive action when you're yeah. when you're defending, it, you can only you know you do well, but sort of could be a negative action. But yeah, now again, like all all little things that. With, with football, like you spend time doing it, but even now I look back and think I could have I could have done a lot more and been you know this is a strange thing football. Once you start working it all out and you actually know, understand the game a lot more, your body starts giving up on you. So it's kind of kind of cruel in that kind of cruel in that sense. But yeah, no, like I said, I was quite I was quite dominant in the air on that on that sense. But I, I probably could have been a little bit more on everything that I've learned, sort of you know coming with age in terms of like Aggie said there you've just got to put it high enough it's just you've just got to give me enough time or the big players enough time to get the feet sorted out to pick the line pick the flight and then you can get set and then you can do it but you don't you don't realize that when you're you know 23 24 years old you just sort of stick so stick it up there but once you start taking that forward it, you know it could have been a lot more um a lot more dominant but yeah no I used to love going up there you still going up there at the uh, at the end of games. Yeah, well, especially, the, ha- especially the, the volley at Middlesbrough. He, it wasn't even a header. The old miss kick volley. That was a I put I just put some topspin on it. Keep it down. That's it. Spun it away from the keeper. The snooker the snooker move. Um, and it was that Cheltenham Town away game uh, shortly after. Uh, shortly after that, that um, you went got sent up front at the end and it's a last gasp equaliser. And it was very much that season, a never say die attitude. And there's always in the last 10 minutes, if, if we were two goals down, we still fancied ourselves as, as, as getting a, getting a result. And that Cheltenham time away, it was, a, it was Gary Johnson sent, sent you up front for the last what, five, 10 minutes when we were chasing, chasing the equaliser. Um, and, this happens on a number of occasions this season, but 
were you uh, come come the 80th minute when we're one or two goals down were you looking across to Gary Johnson or 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 how did that sort of come about um different times obviously you'd see it and you know I want to go up there but obviously you know you need to be it did come a point where even even our own players would just be like get up there go do you know what I mean and then I'd just look over to the bench and they'd go yeah go it's like the goalkeeper going up for uh, at the end for a corner, isn't it? Sometimes. <laughs> yeah. But um, no, it was good. It's funny, it, like, go on, Luke. No, you first. Age before beauty. <laughs> I, it's funny, like you'd be surprised, Patch, how, how often, like on the pitch, the actual lads make decisions. You know, like 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 Boom says, sometimes it would be actually the lads going, "Go on, just go, just go," and. Like he wanted to do it, but obviously you don't want to get in trouble with the manager. But really, the the manager gets pushed by the lads, you know, on the pitch. Um, there's a, there's many a time at half time we got told things by the managers, something to do, and we go out on the pitch and say, "Listen, don't listen to that. You know, <laughs> keep the tempo up. You know, whatever." Um, and we actually, you know, I've, I've played in loads of games where you've sort of said, "Listen." You know, the right winger tuck in, don't listen to him going wide, stay tucked in, we're doing okay. And it, you'd be surprised how often that actually happens. <laughs> yeah, but and Lewis was captain as well, I, I assume, for most of the season, wasn't he? It was was he, you know, obviously you're stood next to Lewis most of the time, Jamie. Was he the one that's sort of saying as well, you know, that I think you should go up for this one or or stay up front the last 10 minutes? Uh, yeah, yeah, it was it was not it's not necessarily one one person. I think we had a I don't know. It sounds really bad, and a lot of teams are not like this. But we, we genuinely had like a team of equals. I think everybody was like on the same level in terms of, you know, there was no, there was no big stars. There was no, you know, I mean, everybody. You could rely on everybody on the pitch. So like everyone's sort of opinion was was valid, uh, and sort of none more than, you know, than than anybody else. As obviously Lewis being the captain been there with a the club, you know, he had, a, he had a big say, but we had a, we had a lot of big personalities and characters and uh, people would just, you know, it might come from Brad or Lewis or whatever, as he'd just go up and he'd come round and we'll cover it and and, and we'll sort that out. But um, it was just a will to win that everybody wanted to sort of go on and do that, that, you know, we, we, we made those decisions sort of as a, as a collective, really. You talk about characters there, and one person we haven't mentioned because the the highlights on the DVD are pretty much just the goals and not the saves. And that season, some of the saves that Adriano Basso made were were frightening. Um, he actually made a couple of spills as well, which were shown, but because um, they because they led to goals. But um, some of the saves that he made, what sort of character Aggie was 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 Basso, and you know. I don't know how great his English is, but was he able to to get his thoughts across and get his directions across? Well, the thing with with Adriano, he was again a bit like Big Noki. He was he was just a lovely guy, but he but being a nice person didn't like get rid of his desire to achieve because he'd come all the way from Brazil. He you know he was he wasn't here to be anyone's friend he was everyone's friend because he was a lovely guy but he actually had this inner you know fire in his belly to you know really do something and and and, you know he just shone through it in everything he did he was so professional he was so um he was 
such a good keeper. I mean, we even really, we, he played because he was such a good goalkeeper because his kicking at times wasn't good. But we sort of, everyone was like, well, okay, we'll take that because he's so good. His shot stopping was, were amazing. You know, his strength of character um, and we all liked him. So it, it was, um, he was, he was just a great character. I mean, I've heard a few of the lads like Lewis and Scotty say, you know, we used to be in the shower and Lewis would always, because he was, you know, Adriano was quite um, religious and he'd always just be on the way out, Lewis, and he'd say, yeah, but I don't believe in that, that Jesus guy and walk out and he'd just leave me in the shower <laughs> with Adriano and then, it, you know, he'd be like, oh, blah, 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 and he'd, you know, he'd start and I'd be in the shower and he'd, Lewis would do it on purpose just so I would get the whole sort of, you know, religious thing. Um, Lewis knowing that I wasn't particularly religious either. So, um, but he was just, a, he was, a, again, like Boom said, he was a big character in a different way. It was all about, I mean, Lewis was really, Lewis, you know, wasn't a massive, massive talker. I don't think anyone in the team was a massive talker, but it was all about, you know, doing it, setting an example. Um, same with Jamie, same with Brad. I mean, Brad was a, a talker. Uh, Maka was a bit of a talker. But each one had their own personality and big personality. They were all mentally strong. You know, if someone went against us, you didn't think, oh, God, he'll fold now. It would be the opposite. You know, if someone made a mistake, it was actually, well, no, they'll they'll come out and be stronger in the second half, say. And, uh, and, and that was what actually happened. Your, your thoughts on, on Basso? Did you have a good relationship with him, Jamie? Yeah, yeah, fantastic relationship. I still I still um, speak to him uh, occasionally. Um, he, was, he was sort of up this way. And, uh, but yeah, just, he was just a fantastic guy. Um, and he's sort of the, the competitiveness with him and Chris Wheel. Like I, we do shooting after training, and like I'd just be celebrating in like in the face when I scored, and it used to wind them up so much. So they used to try so hard, or even when we were just running through set plays, they would not let the ball hit the back of the net. Like just, I mean, there was never just you know when you're just walking through stuff, they still wouldn't do it, um, and they just they hated that sort of ball going in the net. But he, um, he was he was definitely a big character in a in in a different way, but. Like you say, his athleticism and his spring was was phenomenal, and he he probably changed a lot of the ideas for me because a lot a lot of the goalkeepers were sort of big up top to be strong and come for crosses and stuff. Whereas in a different culture in Brazil, he was if you look at it, he had really muscly legs, Basso, and he used to do work on his legs, and he had a really sort of slim upper body, which all the power from his legs, which makes a lot more sense than. Than the other way well i guess but, it i um, guess it um allows him to get that flight you know the jump and then you know not not much you know body mass to actually stay in, in flight because there's so many times where he pulled he would dive across and he'd literally be sort of you know um horizontal with the crossbar uh, and save it so it was great great as fans to see and and every time you know a shot a shot came in you were expecting him to do it obviously it didn't happen all the time but um yeah such such a great spectacle and uh but, yeah but it was even it was even more impressive because if like we all used to joke was his fingers pointed in every direction so we'd all be like his hand if you ever looked at his hand he had like dislocated fingers he had broken fingers i mean how he 
he held the ball or he, his hand his hands were a mess. Really? But he uh, he still was able to catch it and obviously do as, as well as he could. Okay. Let's come on to the next game. Bournemouth at home. Um, Jamie McAllister to Lee Johnson this time for a last-minute equaliser after uh, Lee Johnson set up Scotty for the first. Obviously, Lee Johnson and Jamie McAllister both now in management together, have been at Bristol City and now at Sunderland. Um, Jamie, your, your thoughts on, on, on Lee and Jamie and, that, and the, that relationship that they had and the impact that they had on the season. We haven't touched on them yet. Um, yeah, no, it was, um, they were great, to be fair, in terms of um, sort of, obviously, Lee had gone up to, was it Hearts? And obviously, that's where he, he sort of met Jamie. And obviously, at that point, uh, when we when when the gaffer signed Lee, brought him back down and um, Jamie, um, they just slotted in straight away, you know. Uh, the, and I know I know Lee got a lot of stick uh, sometimes from the from the Bristol fans, but you, you know you you, you couldn't carry a player that much, um, you know, you over seasons the successes we had. Do you think that was due to the to the fact that his dad was manager, or you know that was the crux of it, wasn't it really? Yeah, it, it, it was, and, and it was probably a bit un, unnecessarily you know, unfair on Lee, really, because when you come in and you look at it, you know, he was again, he was another fantastic player. He didn't have the physical, obviously, stature and everything else, but in terms of being brave and wanting to get on the ball and keeping the ball moving and sort of technical and, and good vision, he was. Uh, he was a really, really um, good player, um, and obviously Jamie McAllister coming in at left back, who was sort of tenacious and, and aggressive, uh, just an absolute, absolute winner. I've, I, I went in at Sunderland the, the other week for the playoffs because uh, Jamie McAllister had a had a touchline ban from a uh, well a stadium ban from an altercation in the tunnel where he's a he's a tenacious, fiery temper was in there, but he's just he's just a winner. Uh, you know, we, we finished training and played head tennis after and he's smashing balls at the wall, he's losing his head, he's throwing things, he's arguing every decision. He's just he was just an absolute out and out competitor. Um, and we had that throughout the team really. And uh, and that that was uh, that that team was just sort of just based that all the people were just like I said on a level par. They all brought something to the party. No nobody was getting carried. Anywhere, everybody was sort of, you know, we had a team of equals, really. Mm, absolutely, and uh, uh, Aggie, I know you're you're still really close to Lee Johnson now. Yeah, he's done. I mean, I was I was really gutted for him and Maka when they left Bristol City because I worked a little bit with Jono up at uh, Oldham, um, and it was funny straight away. I only had two or three months working with him. I could. I can't remember. I probably spoke to a lot of people and just said he'll be a really good manager. It, it, it was blatantly obvious to me because I've had some good managers, obviously playing, and uh, I've had some poor managers. And he just, he just had something. And obviously, being around his dad for all those years, he wasn't just getting a lift with his dad. He was basically taking notes or understanding. His dad was probably explaining things. So when he went into that role at such a young age, you, I, I still don't think it was that new to him. You know, he, he knew what to expect and how to handle the board and, you know, agents and things like this, which the rest of us, I think, would, would find it, you know, all new. Um, 
So yeah, I was gutted, I was gutted for Bristol City, but I was gutted obviously for Jono and, and Macker as well because I think they've done a, a really good job there. And you know, whenever you're selling your Bobby Reeds and Joe Bryans, and then you're selling centre um, half to Brighton, you know these these top players, and then still being on the verge of the playoffs and still being there, like you know, for the three or four years he was there. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm now. Obviously, watching what Sunderland, you know, did, and they've just hit the post again with Sunderland after winning, obviously at Wembley. Um, but he's, 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 I mean, Mac is obviously helping Jono, but Jono's just got that. I mean, it probably like Boom just said there when he when he came and the fans weren't too sure about him and things like that. But it showed how mentally tough he was because it was like water off a duck's back to him and. He performed the way he performed off, you know, like periods when, you know, the fans weren't all behind him. And, you know, I always think, bloody hell, I, you know, I don't know if I could handle that, but he, he didn't bother him one bit. And, you know, he, he still um, became, you know, the player he did at, at Bristol City, you know, playing the year we get to the playoff finals um, at Wembley. And, and like Boom said, Macca was just, just competitive, just a Scottish, tough, competitive, you know, like um, fit, physically strong, a bit nasty when he had to be, um, which gave us someone else because at times we didn't have nasty players really, but Macron, um was definitely that little bit of grit. Um, so just, yeah, just made up for the two of them actually. They're doing great. Um, I just... You know, good luck for next season, and and hope they get Sunderland up, and then they'll, you know, they they can have another go at the championship. Well, and they've both got twenty, thirty years of of management left in them as well. Yeah, they're still relatively young. So, um, yeah, absolutely. And and we were recording a podcast um, at the time when the news came through that Lee Johnson had been um, relieved of his duties, and yeah, it was it was a real emotion that came over me as well because. I could see why it had happened, but at the same time, what he'd given us, the year-on-year improvement, the the highs of the Man City, Man United, Carabao Cup run, and as you say, constantly losing your best players and having to reinvent the game, reinvent the strategy. Um, yeah, I, I, I do really wish Lee Johnson and Jamie McAllister all the best for the future. Um, back to the 2006-2007 season, the cup run, we touched on it earlier, but um, that Scotty Murray lob sent us back to Premiership Middlesbrough for a replay, and it was assist again from Aggie to put Jamie Noble in for the opening goal. In extra time, Jamie McComb brings down Yakubu. But to be fair, I don't think you had much choice, Jamie, on that one. You had to bring him down, didn't you? Um, yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think so. I, I knew it. I didn't feel confident because... Well, I sort of thought I might as well take him down because he's only scored 19 out of his last 19 penalties. So his uh, <laughs> chances are he's due, he's due to miss one. But Chris Wheel saves you. Well, I, I saved Chris Wheel because I was telling him to stay still, stay still, don't don't move, don't dive, don't go. And he was like, I can't, I can't, I can't do it. <laughs> I'm, just stood there. I'm like, just stay, he waits. I and, think Chris uh, Wheel got had about five of us in his ear, didn't he, at the time? Because we all knew how Yakubu took his penalties. And I remember going up to Chris saying, just stand, just, and Boom had done the same. I think Brad was doing the same. I think we'd all seen how he took a pen. And I'd practiced that, and it's so hard to do. It's so hard to 
look at the goalkeeper and actually just change your foot the last second. And um, and Chris just stood there and you could see him. I think on the, on the videos, him talking to himself, saying, stay, stay, stay. And then obviously he just dropped on the ball. And uh, it, yeah, it was amazing. That, and then he did it again in the shootout. Yeah, hit the post. Yeah, but uh, a few minutes later, Yukubu does score. Um, This time, Jamie is on the line trying to save it, but unfortunately, uh, didn't didn't get enough of your hand on it. And thankfully, obviously, and you didn't get sent off. Um, But in this, in the hundred sixteenth minute, Scott Murray crosses, and it's a right foot volley with topspin from uh, from Jamie McComb, who sends us to penalties. Um, So yeah, what a a great a great night up at Middlesbrough. It, It could have been. Um, actually, no, it, it but uh, yeah, Scott, um, Alex, you got the penalty, you scored a penalty in, in the penalty shootout, um, but it wasn't enough to send us through to the fifth round, and that was the end. But obviously, being in League One, you know, you start in the first round, which 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 obviously you had that cup run, um, but yeah, it wasn't to be Alex on this occasion. No, it, it's uh, I remember going walking up actually because I think we were one one pen down and if I missed that was it it was over and I remember thinking oh my god and I remember getting to getting to the penalty and thinking he's massive and that was Schwartz who was in goal and I remember just thinking he's absolutely huge and and when I hit the penalty I actually was trying to hit it low and when I it lifted so I obviously got slightly under it and it went right in the top corner and when I actually look at the video of the goal I think god if I hadn't put it there or I hadn't gone there he would have saved it, but I couldn't have hit it any harder, any better, and he still almost got his hand to it. But it's it's funny now. I'm over in Australia, and we were playing over 35s league, and um, I met a guy over here and um, chatting away to him, and he's uh, he's Schwartz's best mate from school. Oh, wow. and, yeah, so I'm chatting away to him. So then he he says, "Ah, oh, yeah, I used to go with the Australian team and." You know, and he starts talking about Luke Wiltshire. So he knows Luke Wiltshire as well. So I was like, flipping, I can play with him, obviously, at Bristol. Um, but yeah, just it was a bit of a small world um, moment, if you know what I mean. I'm in the middle of nowhere and chatting to, and I was, I was telling him about the penalty. I said, well, he couldn't get me penalties, so he can't have been that good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for someone who was trying to hit it low, it was a great finish. Um, <laughs> fair, fair, fair play for that. Um, the cup. You know, that was the end of the cup run there, but uh, also the end of the JPT came shortly after, and it was a Bristol derby. And I think that's the last time that we actually have lost to Bristol Rovers back in 2007. Um, it was over two legs, uh, nil-nil, and then one-nil at Rovers. Um, Jamie, your, your memories of, of the derby games, obviously quite a, a heated atmosphere, Lots of incidents over the years with with those games, but uh, your thoughts on those derbies? I don't know how many derbies you've played in over the years. Uh, I think that is the only one. I think in terms of oh, uh, yeah, and I think I only played in the second leg. Um, I think what 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 was happening is obviously we were playing. Obviously, we had a lot of games in the league, which was the the main focus. Um, so we were sort of we were resting a lot of players for the JPT games, as as most teams do. Um, but then obviously with us getting Bristol Rovers, I think we then sort of went sort of full full strength to basically you know, obviously beat them and get to Wembley. Um, and with us losing the first leg, we then 
sort of we weren't full, we weren't full strength in the in the second game. It was with nil nil the first game, wasn't it? I think. Was yeah. it? Oh, nil nil. Yeah, I think it was nil nil. Yeah. Yeah, nil nil um, first game and uh, it was boring. Lost one nil. Terrible game. But yeah, quite, yeah then, quite an atmosphere, I imagine. But uh, yeah, and then obviously we went we went for the for the second one. But I I don't know. I sort of I don't know. I've just eradicated it from my memory really in terms of the. It was for for us the sole focus was the, you know, with just the league, just getting promotion. That was the that you know even the FA Cup runs are great. It was literally the the season would be you know decided, or our fate would be decided just by the by the league. Because if you know if we didn't go up, it's you know it'd be deemed a you know, a failure really. Yeah, I think I wiped it from my memory as well. I lost to Bristol Rovers. <laughs> yeah. I, I I did, but I was I didn't play I didn't play the first game either. And I was on the bench in the second game. I was desperate to get on. I just remember having a laugh because I was warming up and people were throwing pies at me and everything when we were away at Rovers. And I couldn't stop that. I just thought it was hilarious that they were that, you know, into it. And then I think, did Ricky Lambert score the goal? Yeah. I remember he ate a great volley in the roof of the net and that was it. And um, I hadn't played neither game and I was a bit gutted because I, I remember thinking I wanted to play in that atmosphere, mm. uh, but unfortunately missed it. Yeah. Okay. Away to Doncaster, another late winner from Jamie McCoo, assist from Lee Johnson. And after the interview on the DVD afterwards, Gary Johnson says, You rose like a bird. And he'd referenced that you'd had lots of arguments. I don't know what, what he was going on about there. Are you able to enlighten us? Yeah. It's, uh, it goes back to, and I've, I've spoke to, to Gary Johnson on this later. Um, and in terms of management, you know, because I obviously asked his advice. I spoke to him, and he just said, he just said you were you you were very easy to manage because he said, you know, I, you either did it for me, like if you made me captain when Lewis weren't there, or you know, but you know, gave me extra responsibility or whatever it was. He said you either did it for me or you did it in spite of me. So either way, I, I couldn't lose. And I think what had happened, he, he was in training, and he used to, you know, he used to say. I can't remember. It was, it was like I was, we were going to do set pieces, and I was running up to, you know, to go up there. And he went, "Don't, don't bother." I said, "What do you mean? Don't bother going up there?" He said, "You never get your head on it anyway. Waste of time. Wasting, wasting yourself hundred yards. You might as well stay back." So I thought, oh. well, I'm not saying what I thought, but I thought, yeah, all right, I'll show you, mate. Um, <laughs> a few different words, and then obviously come and scored, and then. He had the cheek to say that he got me that goal. He'd done it a few times to me. He said, I got you that. You want to score that if you haven't found I said that. I can't imagine so, um, Gary Johnson being a wind-up merchant. <laughs> no, <laughs> it, it was in a sense. Sometimes it, you know, it, 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 you know, I probably needed that. You know, because I've always been like, obviously a big sort of, not gentle giant, but, but nice sort of pretty placid and laid back. And, you know, sometimes I need that to, to sort of go and do it, and uh, I've never had any sort of animosity towards him. He just, I just don't like being told that you can't do it or you're not going to do it. So I just, <laughs> I just give you that extra drive to go and go and do it. And I imagine that you know, I I imagine that Gary Johnson is a is a great um, player, ma- manager of players, um, and tweaks his approach probably to each player differently. And he probably picked up on the fact that you needed that that sort of you know that aggravation, if you like. Would that be fair in terms of how we've treated all the players? 
Yeah, he's um, he what they call he, he's he was a tough he was a tough manager in terms of he was very psychological, and it probably didn't uh, suit some of the players. Uh, but the the group that we had, we had a group of what we called men, even though we're all young men, but we were, we were men. There were no real sort of um, I don't know, sort of more fragile or weaker characters. We were all pretty strong. And, and determined, so um, he, he, he could be a bit more aggressive sort of with us, you know, we'd have plenty of rows and things like that, but he always, I would still say he's probably my best manager, who probably got the best out of me um, in terms of that, but like I say, he just sort of knew what buttons to to push with me anyway, and, and, certain, and the other thing was I played pretty much all the time when I was fit, so I always knew that he obviously thought a lot of me. So that these things were just like, I don't know, a bit of, and I suppose having an argument with your wife, isn't it? you can have an argument with your wife, but you still, she's still there. Absolutely. Aggie, for you, um, your relationship with Gary Johnson in terms of um, how, how he treated you as a player? Uh, to be honest, he just let me get on with it. He didn't, he didn't really... Um, I remember one of the first games I actually played when he came in and I'd been injured and that first year when we sort of lost 10 on the bounce. And I remember we played Huddersfield at home and me and Nose it was the first time me and Nose played centre midfield and they were top of the table. I think we were bottom of the table and we hadn't won for, you know, 10 games. And I remember him just saying to me, and again, it was psychological, really. He said at half time, if that, I remember there was a ginger lad, boom, Mike Nolan played centre midfield for them and he, because they were top of the table. He was at Worthington, yeah. Yeah. And he just kept making forward runs. And in the first half, I'd been sort of half passing them on and not really going with him because I trusted the centre-halves. But also, I, I was a bit, you know, I was coming back from injury. And I remember him just saying to me at half-time, you know, if he makes a run into the box, you've got to go with him. He said, and after the first two or three, he'll stop. He said, but when he runs in the box... You run them the other way. It was nothing. It wasn't like any um, great sort of Pep Guardiola thing. It was just you go with him and then you run them the other way and he'll stop running. And he was spot on. After the first two runs in the box, I went with him and and he gave in. Uh, and then we won the game 1-0. And I remember that was a bit of a turning point that season, actually, that game. Um, but with me, he just really let me play. He didn't. He didn't really give, you know, he didn't say a lot to me. He might say things like, you know, get get into the other lads or use me as a bit of a more experienced player to, you know, maybe talk to Scotty Brown. He might say, well, Scotty's next to you, tuck him in or um, uh, Cops or whoever. Um, but he was, he was he was fine with me. I think at times, I think what Boone said before was what Gary Johnson lived off and, and he could do it with us was... He did, a lot of the time, we would do it almost to spite him because he'd wound us up and he got into us a little bit. But that was getting into our heads, you know, and, and, it, and he was he was good at that and, and really got us sometimes together against, not against him, but, you know, it's like, well, we'll show him. And, you know, we had that. And at the end, when you get a bit older, but I was older then anyway, so I, I knew what was happening even when he was doing it. But... Um, yeah, the younger lads weren't too sure, I don't think, and but you you realised that it, we, he was a, 
a wind up, but it was to get the best out of you or the best out of a situation or the team in that moment of the game. And he was, he was, uh, he was very good at it. And, and that's why he had the success because, you know, he was, the psychology in the game was really good. How was that? He used to create like a cause. So I mean, to create a cause, so he might come in and say it's, you know, Nobes or Brad or whoever it was, and he 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 you know tear a strip off him at half time, but then what would happen is Aggie would go up to him or I'd go up to him and Lewis would say oh ignore him, do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? I say the words, but yeah, just ignore him and whatever else and that and basically, but he knew that he knew he was probably being too harsh and unfair, but then he'd see three or four of us go around that player and pick him up and obviously we'd all sort of do it and that, that created the cause for for us together and then you know occasionally he did he did apologize for for being harsh at times but but only only very occasionally brilliant I can yeah I can imagine um how was that player manager relationship between Gary and Lee um Aggie in terms of you know was he especially hard on him would the was there was there any sort of animosity? Obviously, I know they probably had Sunday roast together the next day, but <coughs> was that, give me an insight on the, and the, the listeners an insight into that relationship. Um, I don't think there was. I don't think he was harsh on Lee in any other than anyone else. I don't. To be honest, he, he was he was more harsh on maybe a situation or. To be honest, the most that got it were the back four or the sometimes the goalkeeper. You know, because we'd let a goal in, so they would get it a bit more than you know, or even a forward who'd missed a, a chance. But it, it, yeah, I would say to be fair, I think there were certain people he knew he could get at. You know, he could, he would go for Keo a little bit. He would go for Boom a little bit. Not so much Lewis, probably a bit of Brad, um, because he again, it was psychological. It was to get those characters like, like I'll show you. Um, he probably didn't have to do it as much with me. He probably didn't have to do it with Scotty because um, he knew what he was going to get from Scotty. And uh, so, yeah, I don't think he, he was, he, I mean, Lee was probably similar to me. He probably didn't pick on Lee a lot. He didn't pick on me a lot. Um, but yeah, within the dressing room, um, he knew the people just to, you know, I remember, Boom, can you remember? I think we were drilling him away right near the end of the season, like this year. And and I think it was him and Keo had a go and it all blew up in the changing rooms and things. And, you know, it, it was all dicey for a few seconds, but it was weird. It just, you know, it, it brought everyone together. And then we we, went to, we played Yeovil the week after and absolutely battered them. And, you know, it was, it was moments like that. I remember little key moments. And I'm sure it was... That was to get the reaction the week later. Well, going back to that incident that kick-started the season, you know, that that just passion mm. between Bradley Orr and Lewis Carey, little incidents like that just seem to just give everyone a bit of a kick out the ass again and get people going, I guess. Yeah, yeah, completely. And like I say, and Gary, Gary was very clever at knowing when to, you know, the team was, you know, we might have, one at home and then drawn, you know, a game away and then had another draw at home. You know, like the season was just not, and he would do something. Um, and we had, 
we had Mark Lather used to come in, the psychologist guy, and we used to go and do things with him, at, you know, after training. I, and I was a big believer. I, you know, the lads were all like, oh, no, we're going, you know, like, like lads are. But I actually, maybe because I was a little bit older, I, I really bought into that whole psychology thing um, with... And it wasn't so much what Mark was saying, but it was the lads talking about either the game, football, things that were going on in their lives outside of football. Um, and we, it, it just, you got to know each other better, you know? Like me and Boom, you know, we, we used to hang around together all the time, so I didn't need to know anything about Boom, but maybe one of the other lads, you know, I mean, Betsy, I didn't know so great, you know, at the time. And then you get to know Betsy better. And then maybe Noki, I didn't know so great. I remember Luke Wiltshire, I'd played half a season with him. I didn't know him at all until me and Lewis went out drinking with him one night and he came out. It was the only time he, I remember coming out. And then he was one of my best mates after that because we had such a good time. We really connected. And I think those meetings we used to have um, used to bring people together, you know, whatever the cause was at the time, whatever Gary had Mark getting us doing. But, um, you know, we, you know, some of us bought into it more than others. Can you remember a few times when we got beat, um, where we'd, we'd come in the next day and we had the Cooper's test? Oh. So one of the things we'd get beat and we'd have like a Cooper's test, so you got a 12-minute run um, around the pitch. Bear in mind, we played the day before and sort of uh, Gary Johnson would he'd sort of come in and write two names down on a piece of paper. Who's going to let you down or whatever? And basically, we'd go, we'd do the 12-minute run and he'd go, yeah, Noble, Chwomny or whoever two he chose and like they'd drop out because the back were hurting or they were struggling oh. so they couldn't do it and it was almost but he just but he'd do that to sort of and then he'd just see you do it and you'd do the running or whatever and then obviously tailor the week's training and it'd be it'd be so horrible that sort of Monday, Tuesday but by the time you get through Wednesday then Thursday it was focused on the game but he just you almost go through that. You say, I don't want to feel like that again. You just if you like drag the ass out of it and just make it feel horrible. But again, it was all just psychological to sort of to do it. And every time, every time he did that, we then kicked on with a few more wins. Wow. Yeah, I always, I always remember doing it on a doing that twelve minute. And I again, I hadn't played, and we got beat, and I was fresh. I think I was on the bench, and I was fresh. And I remember. Uh, Maka doing the 12 minute run and he just and he played 90 minutes the day before and he burnt it and I always remember Enoch and we might have been doing fast laps as well or something we were we were doing some sort of sprints like half laps or something and Noki pulling his hamstring and Noki like pulling up and all that's like oh god and Gary going I knew he'd been playing with an injury <laughs> because <laughs> he hadn't put it in the day before or something and I remember thinking God how harsh can you be and poor Nocky was out for three weeks after that and he said oh well shows he'd been holding back for like the last two games so, like when you say things like that you wouldn't believe that you know those things happen but it was just uh, I remember that happening and just thinking oh my god you know what, what, we, what we got here but okay. that, that was again psychological yeah, I can imagine. Um, last couple of games now. Off to Carlisle. Um, a first half header from Jamie McComb, but on the stroke of half time this time, not in the last few minutes. Uh, and the assist from Kevin Betsy. I, I think 
did Kevin Betsy sort of sign halfway through the season or maybe in, in January or something? Yeah, January, I think. Yeah, yeah. So he got a him, few... in, him in um, him and Willow. Brian Wilson, yeah. Yeah, Brian, Brian Wilson from the Beach Boys. Um, yeah, so Kevin Betsy made a bit of an impact towards the end of the season. Um, I, I don't know if he was there that long. Was it just, was it alone or I can't remember? No, we, we signed him. Yeah, I think he did. He did about 18 months, didn't he? And then he went out on loan somewhere because obviously, again, with us going up, I think yeah. it's sort of the chances limited for him. Mm. Because uh, we brought in like you know Gavin Williams, didn't we, on that side, and Nick Carl and Michael yeah, McIndoe. Um, yes, Sprowley. Sprowley. Yeah. Sprowley as well. Oh, some names there. Sprowley. Oh, memory of Sprowley was him, him on his debut coming on, and I think the fastest he ever run was when he came on, you know, and ran into his position. I think that's the fastest I ever saw him run. <laughs> so excited to get onto the pitch. Um, and, and another memory of, of, of him was when he ran the length of the pitch at the end of a game to, to score. I think that was a yeah. Yeah, great, great memory. He was like, he was the quickest thing I did ever see. He was the fastest thing I ever, ever saw on a football pitch. Brilliant. Um, in that game as well at Carlisle, on the, on the DVD, there is a, a Bobby Moore-esque tackle from Jamie McCoon, which is shown in there. I don't know if you remember that one, Jamie, sort of diving in and hooking it out. I do, yeah. I guess David Graham won it, I think. Yeah. That yeah, he just fantastic. got that's that's what that's what helps having long legs, doesn't it? Can, can make <laughs> up for a bit of lack of pace and just get them legs out. Fantastic. But uh, yeah, no, I remember that. It was good it was a good day that because I, I I never really enjoyed playing football up at Carlisle, but I enjoyed that day. Did Scotty score from did Scotty score from in his own half? Um. Or don't remember seeing that on the on the. Oh, am I getting mixed up from another game up there? Well, I think the keeper come out and he passed it into the goal. Yeah, no, that might be a different one. Not sure. That might be with Huddersfield. I was still. I was found that it's weird, isn't it? Certain grounds you went to, Carlisle was always. Don't know why it was tough. Just a tough. Oh, the journey. The, the journey way. up was probably the tough part, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean the journey and and everything, and the, but the pitch was always nice. The stadium was nice. It was. It could be cold in the winter, but it wasn't. It just seemed to be a real tough place to go and win. You know, like if you ever got a result up there, you're, even a draw, you felt like you'd, you know, you'd done quite well. Yeah. So going into the last game, a win is required. Um, Noble battles really well to go one up and a, a through ball to Noble from Aggie, um, and it's two 0 And then the final goal comes from Aggie himself. Um, how many goals did you get that season? Um, and obviously that was the most memorable goal. Um, and uh, yeah, it was a it was a, a, um, a half volley, I think, or a, a bounced up and you sort of hit it into the ground, into the near side. Yeah. I, I, I told you, hit it down into the ground. Bottom that was it, bottom corner. Yeah, it's, it's really weird. Like I was talking to someone the other day about this and I was saying about when you certain times you score goals, you... you you almost know you've scored before you've hit the ball. Like if you had a good first touch or the ball just sat perfectly before you strike it. And that was one of those situations, even though it, it doesn't go in with like power and all that. But it, the guy jumped in front of me as I was hitting it to try and block it. And I, I remember thinking I've just got to hit it like next to his, almost like his calves. Um, or his, as he jumped up. 
And uh, so when I hit it, I hit it exactly where I wanted to go, even though it bumbled in like slow motion. But um, I knew once I'd hit it, it was in it. And, it, and even though it, yeah, it didn't look the best goal in the world, but it was, it probably was one of the best goals I ever scored. Just well, it looked good from, looked good from where I was sat. Um, going yeah, and it, and to be honest, it was because they scored a few minutes after that to make it three one. And I remember yeah. thinking, God, I'm glad they did score because to go two one, mm. no matter how well we played on the day, you know, was, I remember thinking nerves could have set in, and but it, they just didn't. Yeah, because we had, you know, still had two goals on them, and um, yeah, just a great day. That was your fiftieth career goal as well. It said in the commentary. Yeah, it was. Yeah, um, I don't think I scored many that season. I think I scored a few more the season before. I remember going a little spell at the end of the year when Nobs had come in and I scored four in the last eight games because Nobs. <laughs> Nobs is. <laughs> I used to love playing with Nobs because Nobs was a bit like me. He always wanted the ball, but the last twenty minutes he'd get a bit tired, so I could go forward. And I, I remember sort of poaching a couple of the goals sort of late on in games. Um, Brilliant. But uh, yeah, I don't think I scored many that the year we went up. I can't remember, maybe a few, but well, um, Wikipedia is a bit annoying because it's domestic, it's league goals only, but you got uh, six goals apparently in total for Bristol City. But I expect you got a few more yeah. in the cup games. Um, yeah, and it's got loads. I think as well, when I'm when I played with Lee, I, I couldn't <coughs> go forward as much as I wanted to because Lee was more. He was a bad tackler as I was. So I think because I was 10 years older than him, I would be a bit, I felt like I had to be the one that was a bit more, I don't know, not defensive, but, you know, would have to sit a little bit more. So I didn't, I used to go forward more if I played with Scusi mm. and with Nobs, to be fair, but Nobs was the last 20 minutes. Scusi, I could just play my normal game because he would be the one that, you know, would sort of balance off if I went forward. And in fact, that, the game, the last game of the season, probably the reason I scored was because I was playing with Scusi because Lee had gone off injured after sort of 15, 20 minutes. And I remember being able to just get forwards in that game. And, and yeah, that's that's why I was where I was when it got headed out. The thing is with Scusi, even when he came, he played like a 30-year-old. Yeah, he was frightening. He knew the game, like he played like he was so experienced and he knew what to do, when to do it. Didn't want to do it for himself, just did it for the team and just took up great. Well, he's great literally retired and... retired last week, didn't he? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I, I, could have, I think I could have played another 10 years if I could have played next to Scusi. <laughs> he, he was, he, he just, he, he was, and he was only flipping heck, he was probably only 19, 20, you know, when yeah. that season, I bet he wasn't much older than 20. And he just, he like oozed like quality without, you know, like you wouldn't watch him and think, well, what a player because he didn't do anything amazing, but he just covered everything. He was a good tackle. He had really neat feet, like with the ball, he manoeuvred the ball great. And playing with him, he just give you the ball, like, and he'd give it the right weight on the right foot. He would, you know, and he covered you and he didn't need to speak a lot. He was just a, you know, like a, I'd love to have played with him for longer. So promotion is secured. Um, a very loud and emotional dressing room uh, shown on the DVD afterwards and lots of chance of off to Marbella. We'll come on to that in a minute. 
Um, but all in the director's box at the end with that sea of fans in front of you, that, that must've been amazing sight, you know, seeing all those fans on the pitch that you, we were all singing together for a good 15, 20 minutes. Jamie, your, your, your memories of that. And, uh, I don't know if you've ever experienced anything like that since. Um, fortunately I, I have, but that was, that was the first, the first one for me in terms of, yeah, it was, it was fantastic it was like I said it was really high stress because like the build-up obviously the last the last day of the season we'd also had a little bit of issues with uh, obviously Scunthorpe we got we got beat at uh, Millwall um, and couldn't go up and Scunthorpe some of the Scunthorpe players were calling calling us on the bus because they got promoted and all that so it had a pile of pressure on me and me and Brad had had a massive argument with Darren Byfield at Millwall, who we ended up signing the next season, which was, which was, which was funny when he walked into the dressing room straight after, which was, which was another story. But um, he, um, yeah, so you know, it, in fact, me and no- me and Nobs had a bit of a thing on the pitch in the in the Rotherham game. I think I'd not, I had an opportunity to square one to him, and I didn't, and he he got right up in my face, so I. I sort of smashed him with my shoulder in his face and he weren't, he weren't really happy about it. Until Is that for him to side. get a hat-trick or? No, no, it was, it was before, before oh, he right. scored. So that, so by the time he scored the second one, I was hugging him. We were, we were best mates again. But um, yeah, so that, but that, the the thing was on the pitch at the end, it, it was actually scary because that many fans come on and everyone was mobbing you. just felt like I couldn't breathe. You were okay. getting sort of, I had people trying to take my boots off and sort of all you know all the gear and stuff because I ended up staying staying on the pitch rather than sprinting into the tunnel. But no, it was it was amazing. The, that season as well was like that was the first big big sort of you know career sort of high for me, and that that feeling just couldn't get enough of it. It was uh, it was great. The fans were fantastic. That, that that season and, and obviously the season after but just just the way what it meant to like the city you could sort of feel it and just you know looking at the sea of you know red and white on the pitch after was you know I'll, I'll be honest I've looked at that video quite a few times coming on and it's uh still brings back that emotion it was I had, I had 28 of my family and friends down for that game watching it so it right. was uh it was nice to share that with them that's yeah as you say I Watching that DVD, I haven't watched it, you know, since it happened. Really, the season after, maybe, but um, yeah, it just makes the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. And seeing that that sea of red, you know, Steve Lansdowne and Gary Johnson embracing and singing singing city songs and and all of that is mm. absolutely brilliant. And it's interesting what you say there, Jamie. Obviously, as a, as someone who's six foot six, getting mobbed by fans on the pitch, at least you've still got your head probably above most people. But someone for like Alex. Alex, that, how did you find it? <laughs> that, that was the that was the problem. I, I couldn't get I couldn't get awake so everyone could see me, couldn't they? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, could get, I could I could I could hide. I, I just remember Macca running on and uh, Macca jumped on me because he he must have gone off sore. And me and I remember him like cuddling me and like holding and, and I said, Don't move. Because I could see everyone running on. And I was crapping myself thinking <laughs> if we get knocked over, it will get trampled. So we sort of like Everyone jumped on us, and then to be honest, I didn't stay on the pitch. I remember we were, we were sort of, I was off quite quickly. Like everyone sort of jumped around, but I just, I remember just thinking I'll get off the pitch. 
like for me. And I remember going off and I was a bit gutted because I remember seeing Scusi with, you know, on the shoulders and I thought he must have had a great time. That's been brilliant. But of the actual, what Boone was saying, like I remember coming out at the start of the game and the whole stadium had the flag. I mean, everything was red and white. And it was the weirdest feeling ever that I remember walking out with so much confidence and thinking, we can't lose this. There's no, and it just, from somewhere within, I remember thinking, we've won this. There's like, there's no way we can lose with this support. And at the end of the game, when we were in the stand and everyone was on the pitch, that would, I mean, apart from playing, which was obviously the highest, the high, but after the game, like Boom was saying, the relief after we were getting a bit of stick from the Scunthorpe players and that. Um, but also the um, the day after, on the pitch was great because all the fans were there and it felt like a party atmosphere. Mm. And I remember, the, you know, the day after we went on that boat down the river and all that, and I... That was the only downer on the whole thing was the day after at 11 o'clock in the morning when everyone was still hung over and everyone, all the city fans were probably still in bed. So let's talk um, about the, the night. Let's talk about the night before that. First of all, where 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 did you go? Did you have something laid on, or was it all down to uh, pam pams or whatever? We had uh, the, the, the chairman put the chairman put a free bar on for the for the for the um... where where to. Uh, uh, in the stadium, so, oh, the, right, okay. so okay. Got a free bar on in the stadium, which was which was good because I had twenty eight of my family down and friends, so so we hey, could rapping. do that. But it was what they call it because uh, there was a funny story in that as well, where it was I think it was free bar, but it was sort of on like wine and beer and whatever else, and obviously uh, you know what you had to pay for spirits or whatever. And one of one of my friend's dads, who was a policeman. He went up and ordered some Jack Daniels and Coke for us, and uh, they said to him, "Oh, you're gonna have to pay for that." That's that's, and I, so he tapped me and he said, "Oh, so they're making me pay." I said, "Well, no, the, the chairman said so I was still in my kit." I said, "The chairman said it's free bar," and I can't remember who it was who was working behind the bar. But he said, "If you want to take that up with the chairman, take it up with the chairman, not me." So the chairman was there, so I, I tapped Steve Lansdowne on the shoulder. Said, I, I, Mr. Chairman, sorry to bother you, but I've just been asked to pay pay for the drinks. And he just turned around and said, get him whatever he wants. So I said, right, <laughs> same again, landlord, get some more. <laughs> Daniels and Cokes. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, that's a fantastic story. Uh, so you're in the stadium, free bar. Are you, are you, do you go on from there? Yeah, we went to, I, I remember we went into town and went down the bottom of Park Street. We were in that the club. I can't remember what it was called now. Oh, the Java. Right at the bottom on the right. We went Pardon? to Java. 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 That was it. We were all in there, weren't we? Brilliant. Did we end That's up where in I, I thought it was. Well, we might have. I remember going in Java. Maybe it was the day after because it went on for a few days. That Java might have been after the boat trip or whatever. Yeah, I can't remember. I remember being in Java one of the days anyway. We were, we were definitely in Pam Pam. So I remember Nobs's mum and dad were in there. What? <laughs> oh my lord, that's brilliant. Was Nope still in his kit? Because we were in the remember we were in the bar after the game and we it was like two hours after the game had finished. And Nobes went on about his fifth pint and still in his kit and we'd all got showered and changed and 
he was still on a massive high. Well, just... Scoring two goals as well. Yeah. Um, so the boat trip was a bit of a diner, obviously. Was that because there was no alcohol on board? No, it was because, on a different note, when, when we got promoted to Torquay, Torquay is like a little town and, you know, a small club. And so we, we got promoted say, on the Saturday and then it was in the newspaper and we went on, say, the Wednesday, I can't remember what day, but it was like three or four days later, he said, we're doing an open top bus. And we went on the open top bus and it was just fantastic. It was such a, you know, like the whole town came out. There was thousands of people. And I remember just thinking, wow, I would never, you know, it was a great experience for the lads. And, you know, and then I thought, flipping out, we've gone on Bristol City. This is going to be crazy. You know, it'd be like when Liverpool come back with the European Cup. And we did it at 11 o'clock the next day, down on a boat on the rivers and, you know, and there was obviously, I remember going through um, near the ground down the, the main road. There was no one there. And I was just like, <laughs> what a shame. Oh, yeah. I don't remember the part of Bristol that we went through, but um, it's quite around the back of the ground. And we, we drove down there to get on the boat and there was no one out. And then when we got to the town hall, there was, a, you know, there was about a thousand people. But I remember just the difference, like the, it was just too soon and we should have done it, mm. you know, on the Monday night or the Tuesday night or something. And yeah, because as you say, everyone's it probably... Been another thing to celebrate. Everyone's probably out or been out all night drinking. They're not going to yeah. get up at 11 o'clock in the morning to come to come down there. That was so. exactly it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember the... Uh, so they must have learnt the, learnt the lesson for um, the promotion winning season under Steve Cottrell. Um, because that was a, a an open top bus tour, all ending up at Lloyd's Amphitheatre, and yeah, huge crowds again. But um, but yeah, yeah f- fantastic nonetheless. So um, did Marbella happen? Because obviously I'm watching the DVD, think, and everyone saw. And there's a few Marbella shouts going around. Did <laughs> Did you guys get to Marbella? Go on, boo. <laughs> well, yeah, we did. Yeah, <laughs> no, we made, we made it. We made it, and we all made it back as well, which is well, which that's is the main thing. Boom, boom. Was that was that the year Scotty and Lewis dressed up in their um, tourist outfits? It was, yeah. I got, yeah, oh, it right. was. So, Patch, I don't know if the other lads have told you the story. So, we're all waiting there, in right next to the gate, because we're almost flying, and and we're like twenty minutes before the flight, and um, we're everyone's like, you know. I can't remember the, the gaffer. They were flying off somewhere else. I think was Gaffer and Midley flying off. They were but, there, but they were going somewhere else. And then, yeah, but anyway, Lewis and Scott, yeah, Lewis and Scotty aren't there. And then, you know, we're thinking, where's Lewis and Scotty? And the next thing is, they they come in and the outfits they've got on the two of them. They have basically got like t-shirts with a map of you know Ibiza or something on it or Cyprus, and then. They've got like Australian hats with the corks. They've got pink and yellow bum bags. They've got headphones with a Walkman, like a cassette Walkman. They've got like knee length socks on with sandals. Um, what's the, oh, they had a blow up dolphin, a blow up um, ring for the pool, uh, blow up armbands, you know, all, and they're, they're in the airport. So we're, anyway, we're, we're, in, we're all laughing and like, what are they doing? And then Lou, I, remember, I always remember Louis coming over to me saying, do you know why we were late? I said, well, no, what have you been doing? He said, 
we had to let down all the inflatables <laughs> before we went through the scanners and then blow them all back up. Just otherwise we wouldn't have got the sort of the, the laugh. And um, but the, the thing that was so crazy about it was so they got on the plane, we do all that, all that having a great time. Every day we went down to the pool, they brought out a new t-shirt or a new, and they've got the whole outfit on every day we were down there. So they didn't Brilliant. really wear anything apart from that in the daytime. The thing That's is, the, the, the attention to detail, they, they also had, uh, they, what they call it, didn't they? They had like oh, big socks on. Yeah, so they put big socks on um, and obviously socks that were slightly lower they were going to wear and a, a, a bigger T-shirt and they'd had full spray tans in them. So they had all the white, all the white marks and then had the other. So they just looked like... Well, Scott, Scotty was Scotty was unbelievable on that trip when he in the daytime on the beach. Oh, I remember the I remember the first day being down on the beach and the and the two of them were like, ah, oh, it's getting too hot here. And they took the t-shirts off and they had the brown V-neck <laughs> on the chest <laughs> where they'd had the spray tan done. <laughs> wow, brilliant! Uh, brilliant. Back. And Scotty was just dancing by the. Um, he had his. I've got it. On, I've still got it on video on me uh, on me computer him doing his dance into some song with his 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 sandals and socks on oh they had cut off denim shorts on um and then his bum bag and i mean they're just the two of them are just crazy brilliant yeah no we uh we had uh lewis scotty and tony thorpe on for the easter special um of robins oh, reunited and funnily enough that didn't come up so uh so thanks for that <laughs> Um, but several stories did. But um, yeah, I mean, what a great season it was all in all. A great party at the end. Um, and then obviously up into the championship and getting getting into the playoffs there as well, into the playoff final. Um, did you guys, did you play, you didn't play as much that in the, the, the following season, did you? Because what, what happened there? Was it a case of more players coming in, injuries? How, how did you see that season, Aggie? Um, no, well, to be honest, I fell out with, with. I didn't really fall out with Gary. I just I sort of was a bit. Um, when I look back now, I should have stayed till Christmas um, and and sort of fought for my place. But I'd actually sort of just had enough of. I played. We I think first game of the season we we had got a draw or something against QPR at home, and then no, we didn't. Remember we we went got, to, do we do we do we draw or do we get beat? I it was, well, I just remember John had scored, didn't he? One, I thought it was one. Oh, one. yeah, it was, it was one apiece because oh, I, I, I remember it well because I got the blame. Ah, right. Because <laughs> I, I, play, I weren't playing, and they had the big uh, centre forward who scored a header. So ah, right. I came in the, and I never did that again. I learned from that. I, I came into the dressing room after, but I'd not played, and I, I got it both barrels because I had shin splints and I'd come back overweight. So it was like, do you all fall? Cost all these because you come back in, a, in the right mess and all this sort of stuff, even though yeah, I was yeah. still in the top three at running. But <laughs> yeah, that didn't matter. But yeah. I remember we went, we went to Brentford away and I played in that and had a couple of assists. And then we played at, away at Blackpool and got a draw when they, I think they'd been on a really good run, Blackpool, to come up with us in the playoffs. And they, I think they they broke their record of wins on the bounce, like about nine wins. We broke that with a one-on draw, and then I remember we played on the Saturday at home, and I remember Millie saying, "I knew I wasn't well. I didn't know I wasn't playing. I knew I wasn't playing on the Friday." And then 
on the Saturday morning, Millie said, um, are you not even on the bench? And I remember just like fuming and I went in on Monday and just said, well, you know, like, basically I think I, I deserve to at worst be on the bench, but my performances and, and I, I was a bit like, I'm 35, I want to play. Um, and, I, and I was like, I'll go on loan then, which was a stupid thing to do. I should have stayed. Now, obviously, after time's gone by, I should have stayed till Christmas. And it was the only time I was ever in the championship in the, with the team in the championship. And I could have maybe played five games, 10 games, you know, it would have been better than really. I played that season, I probably still played 30 games at uh, Northampton and Cheltenham on loan. And it did, it helped me go to Cheltenham um, for two years, but I should have done it after Christmas. I should have, you know, gone right, a bit like Boom said before, um, I should have stuck down, but I felt like I'd done that a little bit the year before and got my head down and just got on with it. But, you know, one of those things I, I regretted a little bit afterwards um, going so quickly because I was super fit and I was, I was playing really well, especially off the back at the end of that season. We went up, I had a lot of confidence and, I should have stayed a bit longer um, and and fought for one of the places and especially in football, who knows? People get injured, you get a chance. But I yeah. was a bit bit headstrong, I suppose. Well, I don't know. I was I wasn't twenty five thinking, well, I can stay here for another five years. I was thirty five thinking, I want to play, and you know, bit of a bit yeah. of a bad decision. <laughs> no, no regrets, no regrets. Um, but, but Jamie, you you stayed at Bristol City until two thousand and ten. So you were you were there for the obviously for the the season we got to the playoff final, um, and a few seasons thereafter. How did how did that next couple of years pan out pan out for you? And then eventually the move to Huddersfield. Yeah, no, it, it was it was it was fantastic because the the one thing that I sort of I, I want to be for it to be clear on really, and I think everyone saw it is. Um, we were top of the, the league for most of the season, but not, it weren't like a lucky season where we had that, like we, we, we were going and like dominating teams and being the best, the best team. Like we deserved to be in that top two all season. I remember Sheffield United coming to us and we, you know, it was a massive team at the time and we, you know, we dominated them. Um, and then, you know, in the latter half of the season, teams started, you know, big team, Birmingham's and, People turning up, playing four, five, ones, and actually coming for for points at our place. So we we were up there all season. It was just um, it was just a fantastic sort of time, really, and sort of good time in in in, in my career um, where we I don't know we had a, we had a really good team of players. Again, no major superstars, but just all pulling in the right direction and. And it was, it was it was great to be around, and every every you know it sort of built a feeling, like on on a moment that like we just didn't you know the, a lot of the other clubs had big names, but we never we never feared anybody. Um, you know we did a a beginning of the season we did like a, a traffic light system on teams that we would, you know that we think we'd beat things that we might draw or ones we'll definitely get beat by, and the 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 players just totally said like nah we're not. We're not having this, and we we sort of went for like a you know that we would get get in the playoffs, whereas all the talk was about staying up. But I genuinely think the belief of all the players was we we were aiming for the playoffs, and obviously we we nearly went up automatic. In terms of strikers for that season, obviously Enoch Shawumni um, left 
I'm not quite sure when, but he wasn't around for much of that season. Neither was Phil Jevons. Steve Brooker, obviously, with injuries. I think Lee Trundle came in at some at some point during that season. I'm trying to think. He, well, he came in in the summer. Chunt came in in the summer. Yeah, it was a like, It was a big. It was the big signing, which is yeah. is bizarre now because we think we paid a million pound for him, whereas now that's not that's not a big no. signing. No. Anyway, but we had the we signed Big Dealy, didn't we? And Deli Adabola. Yeah. So yeah, Deli Adabola came in um, as well. But yeah, I just I just looking back through like at the playoff final, obviously, which was a massive disappointment. Obviously, Bradley Orr getting his cheek fractured and no one really got hold of the game. It was there for the taking and um, that, that one solitary shot on target for Hull goes in. So um, uh, yeah, it was obviously great to have such an impact and, and a successful season, but um, yeah, the way, the way it ended obviously wasn't, wasn't great, but, um, but we had, we had a, the, the issue was we had, we had a long period between the games in terms of once we'd won the playoffs, we then we, we then went to Portugal um, to sort of come away from it a little bit and do some warm weather training, which you know which went well. Um, but then I remember coming back and I I picked up a virus, um, and I was sort of you know sickness and diarrhea and I just couldn't keep anything down, and that was like for like sort of two three days before before the and I, and I even on the final evening when we were in the hotel. I had food um, and I remember speaking, walking the grounds with Keith Millen and Gary Johnson and said, look, you're going to start tomorrow. If you keep the food down and everything else, just get a good night's rest. Um, within an hour, I was being sick. So like the doc said, right, you've got to... I just basically got pulled out of it, so I couldn't play the game. But what the turn of events that happened is that like, Lee Johnson had been out with a bad ankle, his ankle. So... We had sort of, so he, he was on the bench and then we had Thomas Vasco who had been a bit sort of indifferent mm. in terms of in terms of that. So it, it, it weakened, the, well, I say it weakened the team because basically Liam Fontaine came in for me, Lewis then played centre-back, um, obviously Lewis played centre-back and then with Brad getting injured, if, if we'd have had it, if, you know, if I'd have been playing over, he would have just brought Fonts on and moved Brad across. Uh, and then we sort of we lost his legs a little bit in midfield. We had to move Marv to right back, which gave that you know we brought obviously Lee Johnson on, who's a good ball handler. But like Aggie was saying there, you almost you know the pairing, the synergy in terms of getting the legs of Marvin and energy and winning headers and seconds, and then Lee sort of dictating it. Uh, and we could have played Nobs a little bit higher up. So it just it changed, it limited the balance of what we could do to change to sort of change the game really. Yeah. Um, which I always think, but yeah, it's one of the one of the worst worst days that that I've ever had because you know it's eighty six or eighty seven thousand fans there, um, and yeah, it's sort of the the fact that I never got to play in that game sort of still tortures me now. I, I bet, obviously, and you're you're probably dashing to and from the toilet during the game as well, which is which isn't always good. Well, I, I had to actually go on the sit on the bench because if I'd have gone in the stand I wouldn't have made it so it was it, it was awful I just I remember getting on the coach I had to sit at the very front and I was just like dripping dripping wet just just felt horrible just absolutely just didn't have any energy whatsoever to play and you sort of thinking can I play through it 
But the the two the, the sort of two days I was just lying in bed, just taught like just you just yeah, it was torture. Um, but I had I what I remember because we used to get weighed weekly. I lost sort of over a stone in that right. over that weekend. Wow, that is so, incredible. Yeah, I, I remember watching the game. I was in the stand, obviously, and I'm, like Boom just said, it, I remember little things you just went against us on the day, you know, because like when Marv went to right back and Marv had been absolutely awesome that season and we played such good football and, and like Boom says, the balance just went, you know, he wasn't there, Jay wasn't obviously playing and you could just tell it wasn't, the lads didn't actually play that bad. It just, we didn't play the level they had played all season. And you could see it just, it wasn't going to be our day. It was, yeah, it was, it was sad. Cause like Jay said there, it was like a full house. I remember sitting in the crowd and thinking, flipping neck. It was, you know, it was full of Wembley was full and it was such a nice, I remember it being sunny and everything. And just, mm. it was a bit of a, damp squid at the end because uh, really if they'd have had the full team out I think you know we'd have probably beat them yeah well that's not, that's if, not... You, if you if you remember the goal if you look at the goal and you can see Brad's face as Windass strikes it it's sort of coming right towards Brad who would have definitely put his head in the way sort of just moves a little bit to the side and then he collapses then because his cheekbones He's like, you know, he did it before and tried to stay on playing, and he, he sort of moved, sort of moved out of the way um, a little bit, and that's that's when he sort of collapsed to the floor then, and and, and the cheekbone had sort of depressed in where it flicked in by him moving his head. Yeah. So um, yeah, on another day, he might have just took that one in the face, and and it, you know, the rest of the history. Absolutely. Um, so. We've spoken about um, Aggie moving on from from Bristol City. You moved on to Huddersfield, uh, Jamie. How did, how and why did that move come about? Um, honestly, it was I'd, I'd had a few injuries um, with like my knee. Um, I think at the time and I played a few games and then I missed some of the season. And obviously, with Gary Johnson going. Uh, it was probably more the talk around Steve Koppel coming in and, you know, the talk of him bringing in Ibrahim Osonko um, and players like that. And I had a year left on my contract. Um, and I remember speaking to Steve Koppel and he, you know, he said that he wanted me to stay and fight for my place and that, you know, that he liked me and that, you know, he was going to give me a fair opportunity. But he couldn't give me any longer than the year I already had. And Huddersfield had offered me three years. Um, and I still sort of want to stay at Bristol on that. But I think, I don't know if it was Steve Lansdowne or people above me sort of um, on speaking with Lee Clark, he said that, you know, the Bristol won't let you go. And then there must have been a U-turn somewhere that they'd accepted a undisclosed bid for me and that I could speak to them. So at that point, when they accepted the bid, it was a bit like somebody, you know, doesn't want me there. So I just sort of made the jump sort of really before, you know, before I got into the last part of my contract. And I understand that your brother played at Huddersfield in the early 2000s as well. So um, you, you had some connection there. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I played for them. They, they'd really, Another team that had released me uh, at under 15, that, that I went back and, you know, played for. 
and signed for. But um, it's a you know it's a really good football club. So we've got some association with it. Um, you know, got promoted with them uh, as well. So again, it's another good club that that, that I like. Um, but I, I honestly, I, I just wish I'd have never left Bristol. I wish I'd have stayed and fought, um, which is usually always my what I always do. Um, but you know, we'd had some we'd had some personal sort of family issues in terms of like my dad had you know be, being ill and my granddad passed away and my wife's mum had passed away and just wanted to be up closer to closer to home and all them sort of factors sort of made made a difference but I did sort of regret it for a good while after sort of coming up and and, and leaving Bristol because that's probably the happiest I'd ever been and the place that I'd that I'd enjoyed my football the most. Oh, and and because we used to sit outside siesta all afternoon and have coffee. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> think yeah, down um, in Clifton, and uh, yeah, that's why we, we we were both unhappy. I'd gone to Cheltenham, and, and you lost me, and then so you buggered off to Huddersfield, and uh, yeah, that was that. <laughs> wow, end of Bristol City days, but. Um... Aggie, coming back to you, you you got back involved with with Bristol City a bit, and um, I know you used to you know come down with me and watch a few games with Joe and a few keeping an eye on Bobby Reed and Joe Bryan and their career, and um, and now obviously you're living in Australia. T- tell us tell us about what you're up to now in Australia, and um, you know what what life looks for you like looks like for you on a daily basis. Um, well, I, I basically just coach, um, you know basically grassroots kids uh a lad i played with it at, uh um talkie uh jamie goslin he was over here and i'd been in touch with him a little bit on facebook and he just he said you want to come and coach and i'd obviously done the work with uh bozzy uh with the estate agents and letting and and uh which was good fun and then it became a bit stressful and i was sort of managing a lot of properties in Bristol, uh, which was good. And then I just thought, you know what? I actually want to go and live somewhere where it's hot. <laughs> so I thought I'd come out and see, could I be into Cairns before? Um, I did a bit of a traveling and I, I so I had actually been here only for like a few days or a week or something, but it wasn't that scary that I was going somewhere I'd never been. And he was, Jamie was very positive and very like, just get over here, you'll love it. It's fantastic, what a place. And I was just like, you know what? Yeah, if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. And then, uh, so I I came over and, and to be honest, it's, you know, it's been, uh, it's been great. It's, it's different. I feel at times like if we didn't have COVID, um, I might have been looking to not so much come back home, but, you know, like, coach at a sort of high level but every time I coach the kids over here and there's certain kids that you obviously got on well with and you know there's some good little players and you sort of just their smiles on their faces when they're enjoying it and, and what have you you sort of go oh well you know I'm playing golf more which is a big thing for me you know sort of playing golf two or three times a week the weather's fantastic mm-hmm. um, uh, and I'm out of the way a little bit from the whole COVID thing so you know, I, I sort of feel very lucky, to be honest. Awesome, awesome. So good to hear. Um, is, I don't, you can't look too far into the future, but do you envisage yourself returning to the UK, to Bristol? 
Um, no, no, well, I'd love to come back to Bristol. I, uh, Bristol feels like home to me. Um, after I think I've, I lived there for 13 years after Bristol City. Um, so yeah, I would love to come back to Bristol, but maybe when uh, the insanity has gone and the ridiculous rules and things that you're living through, which obviously I'm not, um, I couldn't, I, like I said to you, I, I literally couldn't handle it. So yeah. I'm just sort of staying out of the way at the moment until um, any form of normality comes back to the down. insanity. Yeah, so, well, I, I, yeah, I mean, there's only one place I'd live in England. I think that if I had the choice, it would probably be Bristol. Awesome. Uh, and, and I would, I've always would like to go back and coach in the academy. To be honest, brilliant. It's still a bit of a goal, but we'll Excellent. see. Okay, lovely. And Jamie, um, you you touched on uh, uh, about half an hour ago the fact that you were filling in for Jamie McAllister. Were you actually are you actually working for Sunderland, or how how did that come about? Um, it was just the, the fact that Jamie had had a stadium ban um, from from an incident that happened at o Oxford with Carl Robinson getting a ban as well. Um, so obviously Lee Johnson uh, called me and just said, look, he, he wanted somebody else to come in and just a short interim basis to sort of help him to sort of do, you know, because there's a lot of things to do on a match day and work shared and he just said he wants someone that he you know that he trusted um that, that understands football that knows it that understands him and how he works and that will be sort of on side to sort of give that support which um, you know i gladly jumped at the chance to to sort of do it um and just unfortunately we just it just came up a little bit short obviously we, we gave away um a, a sort of silly goal in the in the first game with a, with a back pass to the keeper and then we sort of we, we, we approached the game really well the second you know the second leg the first half was you know exactly as you know went went to plan and we got the two goals back and then um you know they changed formation a little bit and i think what, what happened at sunderland is you know the they've lost a lot of defenders in terms of injuries and everything else and it was a little bit square pegged around holes and and they just came up a little bit short in the second where again where you just have limitations of what you can change and I think it's been a you know a grueling season for all the leagues um, in terms of you know how condensed it is playing Saturday Tuesday in terms of injuries and um, yeah they just they, they came up a little bit short but I'm pretty sure they'll be uh you know, they'll be a force to be reckoned with next year, but that that league's going to be incredibly tough. With, you know, Sheffield Wednesday, Ipswich, Wigan spending money, Portsmouth, Sunderland. It's going to be a it's going to be one to watch, I think. Absolutely. And tell me, did the uh, the Netflix documentary crew were they are they still there? And are you going to be on Netflix? <laughs> no, they're not. They're not there. They're, oh, that's a shame. They're, 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 I'd like to have seen Lee Johnson and uh, Jamie McAllister on the on that documentary. That was um, yeah, that was quite good to watch that. The thing is, the thing is, if 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 you were to watch that a bit like Aggie touched on, like Lee is for a man of his age, one of the most sort of rounded people in terms of he he, he will go he will go really far. Like I've, you know, I've worked under a lot of managers, and he's just so he's so on it in terms of you know, and I think I think the the difficulty uh, with what what Lee's had with certain things, he, he's also been developing players as well as trying to play winning football. 
without really the biggest budget. So I think what he's achieved at all the places has probably been above what it is. Whereas now, like I said to him, now now's the sort of the acid test really, because you're going to have a good budget, a healthy budget with a realistic expectation of going up. And then obviously wow. you'll see see how well he does now. So hopefully he does that. Um because I think he's got obviously we know he's got a massive future in the game, but he's he's definitely someone I could see going to the you know managing in the Premier League. Right, well, Sunderland's a, a, you know obviously a massive club. The, the passion up up in Sunderland, Newcastle as well for, for their football. Um, obviously, yeah, we we wish him all the very best success. Have you got something sort of lined up for for next season, or what? How you what? You no, I've, no, I've um, I've had a bit of a change completely, and Aggie would love this because he's very. Uh, big on the green and environmental and um you know sort of health foods and vegan yep. sort of things but it's it's not vegan so but it's, um I've I've got bought into a franchise with my brother uh called Modern Modern Milkman and we we obviously deliver milk uh but we some modern sort of green grocers so we do everything from you know bread croissants brownies milkshakes pop cleaning products shampoo um, eggs, butter, everything. It's sort of like a, it's like a modern greengrocer's, and it's all done online. It's all sort of ethical, sustainable. It's all done in glass bottles, so it's all reusable, uh, recyclable, uh, you know, materials that they use and, and non-plastic. Um, so it's it's a fantastic concept, um, and it's great. We're we're more the logistics side, so we've you know we've got certain areas so we're literally going to do all the way up to the northeast uh, with me and my brother um and we're going to do sort of leeds and york so basically you draw a line from leeds and york and go all the way up to scotland we'll be we'll be sort of commandeering doing that area so it's a bit of a change from football but it's a it's a good business it's you know it's um it's ethical it's you know it's great for the planet um i'd be lying if i threw figures out but i know they'd saved like miles and miles and miles of plastic uh, waste already um and you know they're a really good up-and-coming company to, to to work for and i think the what they stand for is fantastic uh, but on the flip side of it um i did get a taste for it the other week and i would go back into into football the opportunity was right and obviously you know I'm, I'm, i've come into this business with my brother and you know obviously employ other people so if the opportunity is there then i would uh I would take it. I would yeah. take it if uh, something came up. Is that would that be in a coaching capacity, or would have you thought about going into the managerial game? Or no, I think I I think um, it would be in a you know first team coach, assistant manager sort of capacity. I don't think I'd want to make the jump to to manager because definitely well the plan before was before before lockdown happened and i you know left and coming to this was you know be a, a first team coach or an assistant manager until the kids leave home and then you can actually have a go at it but i actually believe sometimes you sort of you can stumble into it that way but i think sometimes people are either made to sort of be the manager or or to assist and uh for me i would i would prefer the assisting and, and uh, mm. sort of first team coach role because it's it's more about the football rather than the business and the politics and the, you know managing up and managing the press and everything else that's that sort of side of it is you know you enjoy bits of it but it's it's, it's highly stressful 
And that's what they don't see with, with managers. I think that's why a lot of people are going down the head coach route. Whereas I still think, um, you know, certainly Gary Johnson was, I think lead to a certain is you've got to be on top of all of that as well as the football, which is why you need, you know, good assistants and first team coaches that can take some of that responsibility away from the manager because you can't, you can't manage everything. So, yeah. um, yeah, it'd be more the football capacity for me in terms of assistant manager, first team coach. Well, chaps, it's been an absolute yeah. pleasure to chat I, to you guys. I, Go on, Aggie. Archer, I'm just going to echo what Boom said there. I, working with John O, Rob Edwards at Tranmere, working with Paul Carden at Southport, it just put me off ever being a manager. How they do it, like how John O does it. I know he loves it, and he, you know, he probably enjoys the stress. But I think when like Boom was at Lincoln, it's it's completely different and the first team coach and the, the actual you're on the grass and the coaching and you, you're trying to get the best out of either young players or you know players that are coming into the team and it's actually enjoyable and I can't see how being a manager is enjoyable apart from probably that one moment when you actually get promoted or win a trophy and the rest is, is, is so tough I know they get paid quite well but I'm not sure that much money would be enough for me. I, uh, I'm like Boom. I think first team coach, and uh, yeah. and be on that side. You, you, when it depends, you depends if it's more about you or more about the team. <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah. Yes. Weren't you weren't you a caretaker manager at Tranmere for a bit, Aggie? No, I, no, I went with Rob. Rob Edwards basically with the manager. I was oh, first okay. team coach, and when he got sacked, I basically left the next day or two days later the new manager came in and said i've got i'm bringing in my own people and i was like okay fine and um it was an eye opener to be honest i was very naive to the whole you know and obviously coaching to coaching and i know the game like boom does and then i knew how to you know set up sessions and what i was trying to achieve and all that i've done my a license and i i that was all fine but you're working in the club day to day, even for three months. And I was leaving house at six in the morning, getting home at 10 o'clock at night. Um, Cause you're watching that many games every night. And, um, oh yeah, just, and, and, and Rob dealing with the um, chief executive every day. And then the chairman down the corridor and he's calling them in and asking about this player or that player. And you've got agents on the phone every two minutes and, and I always remember um, uh, Paul uh, down at Exeter. Um, Tisdale. Yeah. yeah. I always remember Tis saying, he said that basically it's about 5% about coaching. The rest, being a manager was all about all the other things on the other side. And I always wasn't sure what he meant by that until I got into it. And, you know, the coaching was was obviously almost like the minor part of his job. Um uh, Everything when you're off the grass is um, is actually almost the most important bit to them, I guess. You know, so like Jay says, that's why uh, Jono will have Maka with him. Why he last Boom to come in because you have to trust the people that are around you, and um, you know if you, if you don't, it, it, I, I think it must be even harder. Yeah. 
just before I let you guys go, and I, and I just looked at the time, and we've been going for a couple of hours. So uh, hopefully, you can, hopefully you guys don't mind that. Um, we, we've reunited Alex Russell and Jamie McComb, and I guys, you guys, you know, speak uh, now and again. But hopefully, you've enjoyed the walk back down memory lane and and that promotion winning season. But do you? I know Aggie, you you did and. The question is: Do you still look out for Bristol City results, and you're able to keep up with uh, with with what's going on at the club? Uh, well, obviously, Scotty's still being there. Um, does not, and and people like Ali Hines, Trevor Charles in the academy who have very fond memories of working with uh, Ali Hines is just a great guy. I've got a lot of time for Ali and, and Trev. Um, so yeah, you, from afar, you watch and. It's like anything, Jamie would be the same. I'm I'm a Cambridge United supporter. When they went up this year, I'd absolutely over the moon for them. Um, Torquay, I think, are in some bizarre playoffs. I'm not sure what's going on there, but they at, seem at to Ashton be in... Gate. At Ashton Gate, I think, the final. Yeah, are they in the final or do they still get games? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Yeah, it goes on for the whole of June. It was bizarre looking at it the other day, but I'm still obviously seeing how they're getting on and... Um, and obviously Bristol City. So you, you ex-clubs, you always the ones that have got a bit of a soft spot in your heart is um, the ones you always look out for, and and just you want them always to do well. And, and Bristol City is uh, exactly the same. So you know next season when they look, they'll they'll go for uh, promotion again. Yeah, and, and Jamie, who who is your your club? My club is. It's tough because I've sort of not actively followed them to be honest for a while. But Chef Wednesdays, okay. this is not gone. This is not gone sort of that well for them. Um, that's the team I spotted obviously growing up. But again, like Aggie said, I'll, I always look at like my previous clubs um, that, that I've been at. But Lincoln was Lincoln and Bristol were probably my my, my two favourite clubs that I've been. So obviously I had, I knew I knew what happened with Lincoln because I was part of part of the playoffs with them that that, that season. Obviously, just gone um, with with Sunderland, um, and then obviously Bristol. I look at them. Obviously, seeing they've gone through a bit of a transition and not quite quite got back to where you know. Hopefully, they'll, they'll do well because obviously Nigel Pearson. Remember watching him many times. Ex Wednesday centre half. Um, yeah, big fan of his. So, I guess watching him play. Yeah, well, that's what that, that he, he was in the team when they were, you know, when Wednesdays were good, when in the Premier League with like David Hurst and John Sheridan and, you know, Carl Palmer, all these sort of players. Um, obviously, the, the you know, Tucanio and Carboni and a bit of flair coming later, but Reggie Blinker. Um, who's that, sorry? Reggie Blinker. Yeah, Reggie Blinker. Yeah, Reggie Blinker. <laughs> oh, I, I could do this all day if you wanted. Rolling Neils, <laughs> Singerson. I could go, I could keep going for a while. Um, but they, but yeah, so, so yeah, like, like, like Aggie touched on, I just, I always just follow, follow the old, the old clubs really and see, and it's, it's strange how you go through it, but the, the one, the one thing I have enjoyed with some of the clubs that they're actually, they're actually higher now than when I played for them. So when people ask me ex-clubs, I'm reveling the delight that they're higher than where we were, because I think, oh, he must have been a good player then. You've left them in a good place. <laughs> I changed the order. I changed the order of what clubs I, I played for. So, like when Huddersfield were in the Premier League, you say, "Oh, have you played for them?" Oh, Huddersfield, 
and look and Preston were just above Bristol, Huddersfield, Preston, Bristol. <laughs> then kind of go down that list and then obviously change it that way. <laughs> That's fantastic. Guys, thank you so much for spending your Sunday lunchtime slash Sunday evening um on Robin's Reunited. Um it's been it's been great to to look back on some of those memories. And uh yeah, you're both great players for, for Bristol City and thanks thanks for all the all of the years you played. Um we'll be back in two or three weeks' time where we've got Lee Peacock and Lee Matthews. Um so that's gonna be a, a lively episode. Uh, any any recollections, Aggie, that you can share? Not really. Uh, <laughs> not not with not with no. I, obviously, we weren't there, but I just know Lee Matthews and that on numerous occasions. Now he's doing a bit of agency, or he was That's doing right. a couple of years, and yep. I've been out on Ibiza with him a few times um, with Snog Snoggrass or Snoddy. Yeah. Um, great lad. Yeah. 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 It'll be it'll be that will be entertaining. Joe jo, uh, described um, described them both as uh, as a as always a solid eight out of 10 on a Saturday night in Bristol. So, um, yeah, yeah look forward to that. Yeah, but, it'll, be, um, yeah, it'll be good fun. It'll be a few good stories come out of that. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Thank you both so much. Um, and as I said, we'll be back soon. Thanks for listening. Take care. Cheers, Pat. See you later. White rose, the feeling of home, warm smiles, the crash and burn and the Throat of a gentleman